today we're going to talk about growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey everybody, welcome to Growing with Fishes, episode 248. Uh, this week we're going to have Ross the Bob. He'll be joining us shortly. He's uh, almost to his destination where he'll have a more solid internet connection. Um, so um, he'll be joining us momentarily. Um, in, the mo in the meantime, we got uh, uh, Marty from AP Meds. Hey, what's up, everybody? And we got Fumador. Hey there, buddy. How you doing? For those of you guys that don't know, Fumador also has a, another channel where he does uh, way more content than I do. Uh, he does three shows a week because he likes to torture himself. Um, a little bit, yeah. We like to, uh, we have a, yeah, like a pub atmosphere. We kind of goof off. Uh, what was I going to say? We're actually going to have a fun sesh this Saturday. It's going to be the first like in-person live sesh that we've had for the longest, longest, longest time. Uh, I run this kind of a tasting group, basically, the Portland Cannabis Tasting Society. And through COVID, pretty much, we haven't, you know, done anything, you know. So it's just been online. Uh, but uh, it's going to be fun. If you guys are in the Portland area, actually, you guys are welcome to attend. Uh, it's at the Khalifa Social Club. It's going to be the first time I've been there, too. I've heard great things about it, but it will, it will be the first time that I've been there. It's in uh, Oregon City this coming Saturday from uh, 7 to 10. So uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to DM me or uh, let me know or ask me or whatever else. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I don't know. Also, my seed company is going to be going live in the next, uh, hopefully shortly, maybe even Saturday. So uh I guess stay tuned and everything else like some people are asking so anyway cheers thanks for the intro there it is you can check out his instagram if you want to get info for for the khalifa social club there in portland they're supposed to be super cool they were super chill on the phone so i have a uh, high optimism it's uh it has been a little bit challenging finding, like at least in Oregon, finding chill, easy places where I could get like lots of people to, to show up uh, openly, not quietly, because it's it's easy to do like secret sessions and stuff, but I want to do public sessions, you know what I mean? So that's the, the challenging thing. It's not like Oklahoma where you could do just basically like anything. You can go there with like yeah, we just cows and a horse. We just have to make sure we're not booking on the same night as the midget wrestling, you know? That's it. Yeah. Sorry I mean, about that. Honestly, like when you can get both, you, you really get like a two for one, you know, it's like, um, what do they used to call those? The cinema feature, the, the two for one feature. Like that. We need awesome. more, more places, even here in Oregon. Like there's no place in Southern Oregon where you can just go and like chill. I mean, I want to go to like the weed bar. Like, I want. I heard there was Did it disappear down in Ashland? There was a, like a weed bar that was apparently really cool. You know, I, I heard that there was going to be one starting up, but I've never, I haven't seen them actually like open doors or, I mean, I think I would have saw it by now, but my head has been a little very insane recently, but, um, but yeah, like, I think that, I mean, even if there's one, that's still not enough, you know, like you can go consume alcohol in like 14,000 different places in Southern Oregon <clears throat> where it's perfectly fine to go and get smashed. And in some areas, probably even drive home, depending on who you know, and <clears throat> Uh, you know, like I just want that for cannabis. And, like I'm gonna go down and hang out with my friends and play pool and smoke a joint. You know, like that I would do. A normal too, yeah. I'm not an alcohol person. You know, like I don't want to go get smashed and like do that whole scene. You know, so I think 
it, I think that's like a whole, especially if we ever get like federal uh, legalization, that's like a huge market that we don't even take advantage of now. Like, you think we spend billions of money, billions of dollars now on consuming cannabis? Like, wait till you can go do it socially. <laughs> I think it, it will be crazy and across state lines. If you can start shipping across state lines, when you have that. Dude, it's a trip to think about it, right? Because like, how do I say this? Uh, we don't just drink beer like uh, in the comfort of our own own home, like uh, with a medicinal permit or whatever, like uh, one beer at a time or half a beer. Like, a, right. a, I don't know, like we, oh, the, 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 the beer jar says that we should drink like one third of it. Like no one ever drinks that way, right? They drink socially right. with their friends or with their spouse, whatever else. And so that seems to be like the, a normal thing for cannabis too, you know, like we would actually be able to go to a restaurant smoke a joint or vape a joint maybe or vape a bowl or whatever like that that seems to me normality but I don't know. we'll see if we get there yeah i think it's you know it's gonna be even more billions of dollars you know that will blow up enough if we ever pull our hands out of our ass enough to get federal legalization and stop doing that but you know i mean it's been years on this podcast that we've been saying it it was years before that before we even you know had any amount of legalization and before that, you know, like it, people have been saying the same thing for decades. So it, it's hard for me to get too excited about it. But I, I you know, like th- this always feels like there are once a year, like wild stab at trying to federally legalize cannabis so that, you know, the liberals can turn around and be like, oh, we tried, but they wouldn't let us. And you're like, well, we've got all the power right now. You'd think you'd be able to do something. But uh, it is a little disappointed to see them basically kind of just sit back and kowtow to what's her face, uh, the, the chick from Arizona, Christina or whatever. And uh, what's this fucking West Virginia? It's a little bit frustrating. Like they, they could actually pass a little bit more, not just cannabis, but yeah, especially that. That's such a no brainer. This is completely unacceptable. Yeah, 25% excise tax. Get the, out of here. No. Absolutely not. Starting at 10% to 25, they want to give a tax credit for half of that tax rate for anyone making less than 20 million in sales. So, you know, so what you do is you start a bunch of small LLCs and you keep it at 19 and a half mil. That's what cookies will do. Basically, they'll have a bunch of cookie lits. Cookie lits. They're tarts. The cookie jar. <laughs> um, the, uh, but, uh, this is complete bullshit. Like, there's just no excusing this. And then after this five-year phase-in period, they want to tax it on a per milligram content rate. Right? That is not okay. Absolutely not. Right? They need to, this needs to be brought down into something that resembles the word reasonable. This is not reasonable. I've smoked a blunt with Cory Booker in LA, right? He should know better. I know this for a fact. But he does know better. Like, he, again, it's like, it's just, it's like obligatory. Like, every year they scoop something together. They try, you know, just like, I honestly feel like it's just so they can be like, look, we tried. Please donate some more. Please vote for me again. And I'm not like attacking Cory Booker or like <coughs> anything like that, like specific. I think it's, a, it's all of them. It's a, every year, like, you know, this, this same thing comes up. And it's not like, it's not like I don't want progress. It's not like I don't want it, but I, I just don't think that it's going to pass. I don't think that, uh, you know, it, it's a serious effort at getting legalization. 
Um, so it it just ends up being sort of like sour grapes, you know. Like, yeah, I like grapes. These are fucking sour. Cynical, you know. Maybe that's just us being cynical and saying like, oh, it's never gonna happen. Maybe it will happen. I mean, it's it seems like the most obvious goddamn thing at this point, you know, like. Uh, most of the population of the country now, I think, has some version of legal cannabis, and uh, the sky hasn't fallen yet that I've seen, you know, neither on the West Coast nor on the East Coast, nor even in Illinois now, like, Chicken Little hasn't yeah. been uh, exploded or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, uh, how do I put this? Yeah. It seems like now or never, you know, like, uh, if they don't do it now, when would the, when is the, the motivation going to finally be, you know? Right. I don't, you know, I don't know that the motivation this year is any different than it was last year. I think it's kind of, I mean, we knew last year that every single state that legalized didn't have any of the negative effects. Like you said, you know, they, they said that teen consumption would go up. Guess what? It didn't. They said that real estate prices would go down. Guess what? They went up. You know, they, they said that it would affect employment rates. Yeah, it did. They went down. And, and yeah, I, in fact, more cannabis jobs came in during COVID than went out still because people's were sitting at home and they wanted to smoke cannabis and we needed you know delivery drivers and that you know like all these other different things so it's a market it's like anybody who was involved before legalization already knew that this is this is a very flexible market okay like it even when it was completely illegal cannabis that got grown in Humboldt got to New York and people smoked it even when they were doing everything they could to stop it so obviously the demand for cannabis is always going to be there and it, it's such a such a versatile market such you know you can grow it in so many different climates and so many different ways there's so many different strains there's already a ton of consumers like there's so many upsides to it that uh, all those things still still existed before and i don't i just uh i think that they have to figure out a way to get get past this sort of the reason that I, I guess I'm so negative about this particular one is it's not any different than what they put up before. I think they already know that it's not going to go through. I know that sounds cynical, but when you when you throw something up, like even Steve has got some can find something in it that he doesn't like, and I feel like that's what they do is they attach a bunch of other stuff to it. Like there's not just cannabis regulate, you know, uh, legalization that's going in in this bill. There's other stuff attached with it, so it always gets attached to this or attached to that. And it's never just its own thing. Like, hey, we should just undo this thing that we did before for no real good reason. <laughs> and well, and it be done. You were like that, yeah. I mean, there, there's never a time where they're like, oh, well, we're, we're going to undo the wrongs of the past. They, they, they don't give a shit. You know, they have to actually get something out of it. You know, that's. I mean, that's the thing. You know, like if that if that's the complaint, I would almost say like, you know what? That's reality. Like all the different compromises and the shit that they'll attach to it, like that has to happen because otherwise they're not going to pass shit. You know, like, what is some guy from, like, some senator? First of all, all these senators, like, 90 or 100 years old, like, what is some senator who drinks bourbon from Kentucky or Tennessee or wherever the fuck, what do they care about cannabis? You know, to, so to get them anything, they're going to have to get some big-ass favor. Yeah, yeah or, or vote them out or burn it down. Like, I don't, you know, at this point, like, there's really no other options, and none of those really sound, you know, like, other than voting them out, which is obviously different. <laughs> burning it down has its own set of complications so uh you know it's really difficult to be like okay well what you know like what do you have to do to move, move forward and you know i guess really you have two options like you're saying which is compromise and compromise and compromise um sometimes that works like in the case of different states now that have 
you know, I would say quasi legalization, even Oregon, where you, you know, you've got quite a bit of access. It's heavily regulated, heavily taxed, like all those different things that we're talking about, but it is, it is there and it's possible. Now, all that being said, you're still seeing more and more actual growers going back to the, to the gray market or the, uh, the less than legal markets to be able to move their products because regulations and taxes are out of control. And, you know, you see, you know, the quality and dispensaries going down. So, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Do I love being able to get weed delivered? Absolutely. You know, do I love the, the fact that we've expunged a ton of different charges in Oregon? Uh, yes. Have we done all of them? No. So it's kind of that whole thing. Like, I don't want to be caught up in saying that I'm not happy with our progress because I am happy with our progress, but I do want to learn from the stuff that we've already done. Like Oregon, Washington, Colorado, basically fucking all of their medical programs. Um, you know, like we should have known better and, and we can do better going forward. And I, we all get together and kind of collectively agree that federal legalization is a thing that should happen. It's got like 74% of the popular vote at this point. Um, so, you know, what, what's, what's the missing piece? So when they just throw something up that they already threw up last year, um, but just added more taxes to it, <laughs> I don't feel like is, um, is something that's going to go. But also the, the, the Democrats are actually in charge this year, you know, like, I mean, how do I put this? Like the government is compromised, you know, like we, we are sometimes overly cynical about this stuff. Cause I mean, rightfully so, because everything that comes out of the government is basically compromised, but that's the system that we have, you know, this democratic system. So like, you're going to have 50 States. And even if like, even if you had, let's say the same party controlling all 50 States, you'd have still 50 different state parties. And so you'd still have to compromise. So like, it is kind of imperfect, but, Dude, I don't know. Maybe this one is different. You know, Ron Wyden, the senator from Oregon, is actually co-sponsoring it. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, he's always kind of co-sponsoring the, the weed stuff, but he and Blumenauer right. have been stumping weed for the longest freaking time. Like, this isn't, I have to be honest, I don't think it's just kind of idle. I think it has this chance of passing, and I'm a little bit worried that it's going to pass with something like heavy taxes, and they're going to throw in no home grow and blah, blah, blah. Like, they'll, I'm worried that they'll pass, like, a bastardized version of legalization that will help the commercial market but then for example a lot of us that are watching the show will not be helped you know what i mean like i'm actually worried about kind of the opposite like that that it will pass but it'll be so compromised in that other way by big business interests and everything else partly because a lot of growers and kind of uh i don't know the cool kids let's call it they're going to basically say like no man that's too compromised and i'm not i'm not saying this like i'm not i'm not attacking you i feel like a lot of my friends do the same kind of thing like they don't want to get dirty so they basically stay out of the dirty fight. You know, they stay out of the mud fight. But the only way to basically, how do they put it? The only way to get a meal is to be at the table. So I don't know. No, I, I hear you. I, you know, I'm, I'm worried about them compromising everything away too. You know, like to me, that's still not, you know, anything that's not full legalization to me is a compromise. And so I feel like the, 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 the things that I'm concerned about are really the same stuff that you're, that you're talking about, where even if we get what I would call a quasi legalization, you're still going to have tons of negative effects that come in from the regulation that we've, we've already seen them happen. I guarantee you because they, they love to do this. We talked about this before and on the show for, I don't even know how many years as legalization was developing here in Oregon that they love to just copy and paste from what somebody else has already done. 
you know, when Oregon legalized, they copied and pasted from Colorado and Washington. And they said, okay, well, here's, here's what's already done. And then they edit a few things. And as we do that, we copy and paste each one of those errors. You know, like we, we, we don't progress. What's up, Bob? I give thanks. Didn't mean to cut the conversation. I'll give thanks on a moment, man. Yes, welcome. We're just complaining, so you didn't interrupt anything important. <laughs> we're just complaining about legalization here in the United States. We want to, you know, we're we're having the sort of same debate we've had lots of times, which is the 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 compromise versus like full legalization. Um, you know, the federal legalization they have up now feels. Uh, oppressive i guess um is what it comes down to so uh humidor was just talking about how he was concerned that it it, um, it would be a quasi legalization you know like it's not full legalization it'll just be another excuse to tax people and um just enhance corporate cannabis and not allow people to grow for themselves and you know if you can't sell it at a farmer's market I have a problem with the bill. That's kind of where we stand right now. It's no, you know, it, how do I put this? I don't even care if cookies or somebody else has some gigantic dispensary with, in my opinion, probably somewhat swaggy weed. Like, I mean, that's just a judgment sure. call. As long as other people are allowed to thrive. You know what I mean? Like there's shitty wine, box wine. Actually, there's decent box wine too. But I mean, like there's, there's really mediocre wine. There's really cheap wine. There's really like table wine and there's really nice wine and on and on. Like, and that whole market right. is kind of allowed to thrive, you know. I, I would like it if that kind of stuff were, were allowed to be right. Allow competition to really affect it, as as opposed to which we had a little bit more up here in Oregon before they stopped handing out licenses. Once you have a limited number of licenses for recreational growth, it really becomes an issue for like uh, you know, it really becomes heavily weighted towards corporate cannabis. Um, all the fees become weighted towards corporate cannabis. Everything comes towards the large version. So we saw a huge reduction in the number of overall growers. Um, like even just here in the Rogue Valley, we had like 2,300 medical grows previous to uh, recreational legalization in Oregon. And now there's like four or 500. So the amount of reduction that it did to small grows um, was was crazy the the medical market is almost non-existent there's i think two or three dispensaries left in the entire state for pure medical everybody else has recreational licenses in uh, in oregon i don't even i don't even think there's one because i think that's why pharmax closed down because there wasn't even one anymore i could be i could be last well, time i checked which was a while ago He's going to be at the sesh uh, this Saturday. So, uh, buddy, I, I, if you don't know him, he's a super cool guy, super chill guy. Come on the show one of the th one time, uh, you'll have fun. Anyway, uh, it was his idea, honestly, to meet this Saturday at this new place. I mean, we were going to kind of schedule it as the perpetually snowball. Pharmax was like, "Well, fuck, it, let's do it." Uh, he was the last medical processor for extracts, and I think even flour, honestly. So he was one of the last people, one of the very last people who had any kind of license to touch medical cannabis and process it for patients, as well as uh, dispensaries, and was making deliveries all across the state. And one by one by one by one, the dispensaries were shutting down, switching over to just recreational only, on and on and on. Because it didn't, right. it didn't make sense for most of those dispensaries to do anything just medical or medical and this they had to do all kinds of extra paperwork and stuff i don't remember what it was but 
Right, and that's exactly what we're talking about, that kind of regulation that shut down the smaller market. The, you know, the difference in, in uh, like, let's say you're going to put in a regulation and it has a cost to the grower. Let's say it's that cost is $1,500. Well, that, that $1,500, if you have a huge uh, recreational grow, is almost nothing, right, compared to the profit that you can bring in, the amount of plants you can grow, your canopy space is so much higher. But for if you have only got a 12 or a 48 plant count, that $1,500 is a much larger percentage of whatever profit you would create, regardless of how amazing a grower you are. If you only have 48 plants versus somebody that can grow 5,000 square foot canopy in a quarter acre outdoor, which is just, I believe, a, a tier two uh, craft license in Oregon, which is still pretty inexpensive, <clears throat> but you you know you have to be able to know somebody to get it. Uh, <clears throat> they aren't they aren't just handing them all out anymore. And even when you did, you still had a much smaller uh, percentage to be able to do that. So it everything becomes weighted towards large scale corporate cannabis, and they're the only ones that are left to be able to do it. And you shove everyone else back to a, a less than legal or kind of a gray area market where you have a medical license, but you know most of your cannabis ends up falling off a truck or getting composted um, in, in different areas. So <clears throat> I think that if you just had a, a fair and open market that allowed, just like you were saying for different box lines, you know anybody can put their box line on the shelf, and if somebody wants to buy it, then they buy it. And, that way competition sorts out who stays in business instead of who you know or how big your bank account is or any of those other things that always come in with limited licensing and over-regulation. I mean, it's not even it's not even that easy, right? Because the big guys still have the marketing player, the, the marketing uh, uh, power. They still have the shelf space in the store and the, the marketing relationships and everything else the little guy doesn't have but at least the little guy is allowed to exist and maybe sell some stuff at a farmer's market and maybe get a, a name maybe, and people will start to talk about them and then maybe they'll have shelf space. Like, I don't know. That'd be so, so much funner of a life than, than I think what, what is going to happen, you know? But again, that's right. being cynical. Maybe we shouldn't be cynical. No, I totally agree. If, if you didn't have those hurdles that were put in place by overregulation, you would, you would be able to trampoline up to that level if you wanted to, for instance, where you could start a craft grow build a brand for yourself, you know, and, and sort of springboard up to a larger scale. Whereas right now, if you don't have the money to get the scale to start with, you don't even get a shot. Like you don't get, like you might as well just go to the less than legal market and trampoline that way and try to build up enough capital to be able to now purchase a license, go through the entire licensing process again and do everything you need to be able to get up the code and wait close to a year to be able to get your licensing just to get started. So it becomes a real slippery slope when you start to limit licensing and be overly involved in uh, the, the production of cannabis on, on the literally who could do it and how many plants and seed to sale tracking and all that stuff. Just, um, you know, I feel like impacts the small grower way more than it does a large grower. 
Well, a small grower doesn't have the, the budget for lawyers or like I said, even a marketing budget in many cases, like they don't have representatives or whatever. They'd have, they could band together, but it's hard to band together, you know? So there are a lot of inherent disadvantages. We're trying to work on uh, uh, Bob's internet, so. What's up there, uh, Ross, Bob? Yeah, yeah, man. I was just saying, yeah, the regulation and legalization goes hand in hand. So even for the commercial growers, they're still gonna have to have a lot of things to figure out. They're gonna over-regulate themselves out of it. So it's almost like what you said, like a herd immunity kind of vibes. You just have to let it go with very minimal entry levels. Like it has to be this amount clean this amount less mold you know this amount you know parts per million heavy metals you just put some minimal barriers and you just let that go you know and as you said you just have to start it out the price of cannabis will drop completely probably if it's a glut in the market and the best growers so we're still a ways off we have a lot to learn and we'll just keep trying on and give thanks you know The other thing they want to do is uh, it would set minimum age requirements for to 21 and limit retail sales transactions at the state level to 10 ounces of cannabis or equivalent um, at a time. So yeah, it's going to just be rabbit holes and rabbit holes of regulation. It's one, then another, then oh, another, yeah. then another. But I mean, like you can walk into Ralph's in Los Angeles and walk out with like 15 cases of whiskey. Nobody gives a shit. Like, why do you have to basically buy, like, oh, no, only 10 ounces of weed, man. You can't, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily go buy weed by the pound. I mean, I'm not, I'm not freaking loaded. But if you wanted to or you needed to or if you were going on vacation with your 15 buddies or I don't even know if you're flying to Death Valley or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah, just, why do you have a limit of how much weed you can buy? This even if you just grow your four plants that you have for recreational, if you grow them outdoors in Oregon, you, you should get way more than like even like very poor growers or with minimal effort, you can grow way more than what you can legally have. So what are you supposed to do with it? Legally, you can't sell it to anyone. You can gift a certain amount of it, but if you limit how much you the other person can have too, legally, you can only give them so much. So you got to go around and like try to give all of your weed away in order to just be like compliant, you know, like it's just ridiculous to think that you would be limited to that much. Like one one full season outdoor plant is like 20 times what you can keep as for just a single adult. Like it makes no sense to me. Why, why do you even care? Why do you even care? One decent outdoor plant, you're already over your fucking limit in Massachusetts. It's absurd. Way right? over. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same here in Oregon. I think recreational, it's two ounces. Those are dangerous them. words. Don't let him know that, man. Right. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. <laughs> That's it. You're not really supposed to say this kind of stuff out loud. But the problem is if we don't say this kind of stuff out loud, then people that don't really kind of connect the dots, maybe they're cannabis friendly, maybe they smoke a joint every once in a while, maybe they're on our tribe, they're in our tribe, but they're kind of on the far edges of it. They don't really connect the dots that, oh, a 10 ounce limit is, is too much. You know what I mean? Even like people like Poot, they basically think like, oh, two or three or four plants, that's fine. Because, you know, for, for coot, that's more than enough, man. It's just a ton of weed. 
but he doesn't like to give out his weed, right? Because he's a coot. He doesn't necessarily like to give out his weed to his friends and stuff. There are people who do. So, I mean, like, how do I put this? Like, other people's perspectives change when you start to realize, like, oh, you have parties where people come over and eat your food for, for how do I put this? You have a dinner party and people come over and eat your food, but they also smoke your cannabis. You didn't actually sell the cannabis. You didn't sell your food either. It's a normal thing. Like, you, you didn't sell dessert. You know and I mean, they came over for dinner and then they smoked a joint each. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like People don't realize that that uh, you could have a real reason for a pound of weed in the house. Ain't nothing to fuck with, man. <laughs> the Kutang clan. <laughs> What's, What's up, up Josh? <laughs> Everybody here. <laughs> I'd like that. Yes, I. Uh... So uh, yeah. why don't we do? So, uh, Bob, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, a lot of people don't know who you are. You're you're quite the skilled grower. You 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 grow in quite a few places, like I do. Yeah, man. Well, give thanks for the moment. I would like to say that maybe publicly that growing is maybe just a hobby that got out of hand. I didn't know I really had a skill until people told me I did. So you know. I'm really excellent in hospitality, tourism. That's really my nature. Marketing, did a lot of trade marketing in the spirits industry. You know, so, you know, dogs coming up was kind of like my hobby. You know, had a lot of breeding in terms of the pit bulls and so forth. And, um, you know, solid lines. And, you know, so, you know, and cannabis was just a, a family tradition. You know, it was something we liked and. We like to brag on who had the good stuff. And, you know, it was just a personal thing and people like good things, you know. So it was a great gift. It's always the ultimate gift to me. It was something that, you know, you have something that people like and they appreciate it. So when there's no value really, you know, on it to me. You know, when I travel and I don't have any herb and I get some herb that is clean, there's no value on it to me. I, I appreciate it because I really need it. That special, you know, and, and vice versa. When people travel and they say, man, I never know we have clean herbs or, you know, skunk or whatever it might be. But, you know, so I just really love that vibration of ganja and the community. I'm glad to be alive in this consciousness now in this stage that it's actually freed up certain ways you know so whatever we can do to enhance the industry i think it's a wonderful gateway that will lead to many wonderful things you know the whole organic lifestyle the ital vibration you know ital first has many meanings but just say number one no salt and then i guess exit room you know so that is a quick summary but you know in terms of just self-sustainability Something that's not only good for you, but for your family generation, for two, three generation, and for the earth. So when you deal with these people, when I deal with this piece of land, it should be better off than when I got here. When I interact with this person, when I interact with this family, with this company, they should be better off when I employ somebody. You know, so it's, it's on every level. You cannot be you know, materialistically rich and emotionally poor or spiritually poor. It all has to balance. So, you know, His Majesty King Selassie teaches us that greatly and he always has his Empress, Queen Omega, you know, amen. Meaning definitely beside him. So, you know, just proving the balance. I'm just saying these elements that we have learned from Rastafari, from our family, from traveling, 
it's all different, you know, the same thing in many different languages. So we just give thanks for the community. And I just really give thanks for the time, you know. Somebody like Steve is very knowledgeable and he shares his knowledge, you know, quite freely on this platform and many other platforms. Uh, it was one of them that I tuned into and I said, wow, you know, it really connects. It really connects, you know. So as I said, really give thanks for like-minded individuals coming together and our unity and moving forward. So, you know, now is not the time to really say veganic growing versus this growing hydroponic. Is, you know, now is not the time for that, man. Yes, hone your skill and your own private skill. Hone it and take it to the best of it can ability that you can take it. But now is the time to find every reason to un unify with each other, you know, because, you know, for the greater, whatever it is, if it's even one reason, find that one and stick to it. Forget the other 99, you know. So I really give thanks for, you know, places and opportunities like this far. So anything else, man, more than... You know, there's a wide spectrum of things I guess we can discuss, but any, any... I want to ask a question. Yeah, man. I've been waiting, I've been waiting to ask some questions uh, of you, sir, Hi, and uh, I'm glad to, ha glad to be on the show, Steve, with, with this gentleman and with everybody else, but uh, I'm just a simple, maybe a simple one. You mentioned the skunk, right? Like, what do you got to say about that? Anything? Anything specific? Any experience? Well, I can tell you, within my traveling, I can know the skunk, know what a skunk smells like, and I can really understand the profile in terms of very similar to body odor. If you want to say a very strong, heavy body odor, I would say that would be the base for a skunk, and then it can go to maybe skunk the animal. But my personal experience of skunk going in Jamaica, going up, it would be the ultimate description of ganja. So when you have a bag of ganja and you smoke, it's not pineapple, it is not kush, it's just ganja. There's no other word to describe it. So skunk was one of the original stinky. You know, and as I said, now that I have traveled like to the States and actually smell what a skunk smells like, I can understand what people saying. But our version was maybe not so animal profile, but it really had that body odor kind of offensive, you know, real ganja smell. Like there's just no other word to describe it, but skunk would be the closest word that we would use for international dialect. 100%. But it was really more, I wouldn't say super high or super narcotic, but there was something about that terpene profile that you could open the bag at one end of the stadium or in the middle of the stadium and everybody would smell it around. You know, it was just something super unique. And the inhale and, and the exhale was almost exactly the same, which is, you know, fairly different in the current phenos you find nowadays. They are very more complex. The inhale one way and the exhale another way. You know, this skunk profile was like the same way it smelt in the bug, the same way it inhale, and it got louder when you exhale. It is like the, the skunk really farted now, you know, when you exhale. It's like that green body odor, you know, offensive kind of vibration. So that to me was almost like a, put it this way, when I had the skunk in the parties, anybody that was selling herb, 
would stand beside you because they would want everybody to think that is the herb that he, he, he understands. So it was that vibration. It was a spliff of light that would before the loud. So loud has kind of like that sweet effervescence, perfumey, understanding that skunk was that offensive, you know, make your face reek, body odor kind of vibration, you know? So, yeah. That was skunk. What um what uh, genetics are you are you uh, working with right now? All right, right now. Honestly, I really just plan. I put it this way: every month we drop seeds, but certain months we drop a lot more than some. So honestly, in the summer I don't do a whole lot. It's a hurricane season, so now it's like. You know, some seeds that you've had, you did some crosses, you just put like 200 in this row, 200 in that row. So you might do maybe like, you know, 10,000, 15,000, not a whole lot, you know. But in like going towards the Christmas is a good time to time it or earlier in the year. You know, so those times I work on specific strains for the environment that you're doing. So if you're in the south part of Jamaica where it's kind of dry, you know, we use those kind of herbs. If it's in the highland, we use the ones that are specific to that area and bring them in. But on a personal level, the breeding, I've been really trying to stabilize a lot of our original strains. But bringing them to one location was the worst mistake. So taking a step back the past two years, bringing back these cultivars to the original areas that they were found, and then training individuals and exchanging knowledge of how to, what I was attempting to do in one location, this is what I'd really like you to do in your location because it did come from here, but it wasn't really preserved. It has been tested and we have grown it out. We have given it to a lot of elders and they have said that, yeah, this is 70s herb or this is 60s herb. So we really would like to preserve it. So now that is really the project that I have going on on a personal level. And of course, you know, in between, we always do some, so like the hot stuff, we take a meal out of like the lamb's bread, or the, you know, we have about four major highlighted types that we have, we have gone to maybe F4, and we're trying to bring it to maybe F6, F8, before we really take it to market. But right now we're about the F4 status and about four different ones. So we have two versions of the lamb's bread, a king's bread, what we call the red beard, which would be very similar to when the Panama workers came in so that whatever, Punta Roja or whatever, the Panama red or whatever, right? We, in Jamaica, we ended up called red beard. So, you know, that one. And we have another one that we call the goat shit that really, yeah, kind of just resembles goat shit in terms of the little and pebble. It was the first kind of nugget herbs that came right. to the island yeah yeah so but it's really high mountain blue mountain kind of vibration where, do you know where that where there was coming from that 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 calyx formation style not I, directly, I, not directly. I, I'm curious because i got a, a ethiopian sheshamani that is just exactly well, that. i mean it's i can tell you this much any herb that is revered in jamaica african strains all are prominence. So any breeder or any grower that gets an African strain, they might not cherish an OG Kushara or these, but believe me, they would always have cherished an African strain and populated it. So that is no surprise to see that correlation. 
to that kind of thing. Jamaica has been known to what some people say the heartbeat of Africa. You know, it's like a piece of Africa that just got misplaced in the wrong side in the Caribbean. But you know, it's really that connection, that vibration. So even things like that, a lot of the foods, a lot of the herbs, definitely. So India and Africa is probably responsible for a lot of the, you know, original Jamaican. But as I said, they are unique pockets. Jamaica is very and you know the grower lifestyle. We're not very public. You know, we're very secretive. So the guys in Mendo are doing their thing. And you have a whole guy, set of guys in Trinity doing their thing. And they probably don't know each other and they're doing the same thing. You understand? Much less span across guys in Michigan. And, you know, so who knew knew? So you really have pockets. So the guys that got the Panama stuff from the Panama workers and the Panama canal and all that things and they brought back the seeds. When they went back to the district, they cherished it. You know, and it's vice versa when the reggae entertainers or whoever traveled to Africa, they shared it with their ones in the northern sides of Jamaica. And it stayed in that geographic environment and got acclimatized easy. So the Westmoreland strain was very heavily influenced by, you know, the hippie movement in the 70s coming up. And it's where the sun sets in Jamaica. So you get that highest concentration of that. You know, vibration in the sun, what they call it, you know, the, you have to tell me the, the orange filament and all these, you know, things. But that is where the highest, we get at least maybe three, three hours solid of that easily on the western side of Jamaica sometimes. So if you have any kind of good herbs, you know, that is where it would really perform fairly good, especially the ripening part. Once you can bring it to veg, it will ripen up real nice on that side. So the skunks, the berries, the cakes, a lot of those, you know, dessert stuff really does good, you know, on that side, you know, yeah, man. But a lot of the Thailand, and genetic, a lot of those things, like even the Indian herbs, I don't really take it that side unless I plant it in the valley. I plant it more in the valleys, not really on the high range. Yeah? So. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, that was my my. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna ask you what, what how did the Afghani stuff? You kind of answered that, and the dessert stuff is probably more Afghani leaning in a lot of ways. Yeah, I remember exactly in the nineties when that came in. We just call it indica, and I can tell you, you know the 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 traditional, what's the word you call it now? Um, equatorial strains. You know the light green fairly thin leaves, so forth. And you would see the indica strain, this dark green, short, thick, looking like cactus and white underneath. You know, it was completely different, you know, so you could see those different ones coming in, you know, in the early 90s coming up. And then I would say 2000s is when the flavors hit, son. I mean, cheese, tangerine, grapefruit, mango, guava. It was crazy the amount of, you know, and then the eastern side of the island, I don't know, but I remember 2003, 2004, 2005, it was just like gas. We call it gas pan because it's like cursing tins, you know, people carry around there, you know, in like uh, what you call, like if you break down on the highway, what you call that thing that you your red cooler that you carry a gas in, but it's normally made of aluminum. So it's a popular thing, like I say, a gas pan. So that was just the strain name, the gas pan, you know? So all these fuel stuff, so it was just crazy on the eastern side. And, you know, so as I said, Jamaica is a nice hub that we really don't get left behind a lot. And 
you know, travelers and people like to be on top of the game. And we have a good ganja growing culture. So <clears throat> I've seen people actually chop down a whole field just because it caught seed. Or it didn't really smell like blueberries. So they don't want anybody to know it's them. You know, so some people really have a pride in the product that they're putting down. They'd rather sacrifice losing a crop than to let anybody know that I put this out there, you know? So it's a nice vibration. Ma, uh, Josh, do you want to introduce yourself too? We haven't had a chance to introduce you yet. Yeah, we're Josh. like our friends hanging out, forgetting we have a crowd. No. You know? uh, I'm Joshua Dutch Blooms. I, um, I uh, put on the Science of Regenerative Organic Cannabis Cultivation Conference and uh, I make and sell seeds and uh, grow the weeds. So, pleasure to be on, Steve. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I had some questions for you, Bob, on the Jamaican stuff. Do you, um, uh, and if you guys want to see the dates for the next conferences, you can see them there in the description of the, of the, uh, the video. Uh, nice. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Humboldt's January 28th through 30th, Michigan's February 25th through 27th, uh, Maine 20, uh, March 26th through 28th, and then Oklahoma, April 29th through May 1st. So, All right. Um, so, uh, Bob, uh, I had some a question for you. So, do you want to? Can you walk us through kind of some of the different um, inputs in Jamaica, uh, as far as like natural stuff? They'd make like the fruit skins, uh, ferments for finishers, and a lot of the other stuff. Um, uh, you've done a lot of you know more natural type growing in in Jamaica. Uh, I'd love to hear more about you know kind of the natural input side of stuff. Uh, uh, you know there because something that really fascinated me especially with how much it kind of you know uh, mechanically overlapped almost in a way with with korean natural farming yeah man and that is that should not be a surprise so anything indigenous anything natural from earth should have very similar tones right so traditionally across the island you shop at the home depot you know so your backyard what's in your forest what grows around you so that is really, you don't have an Amazon online that you order, you know, a builder style kit. So you kind of follow tradition. So a lot of these words that I'm even using for the past three years or four years that have been introduced from, you know, Tricky D and the whole gang coming up. With, as I said, the whole Ganja community, it's really great. But I've really learned from you. It's almost like I speak another language and I need to know the word in your language that you can understand what I am talking about. So, you know, when I'm using these words, it's really the terms that you are familiar with. So the KNF, I had to read up these KNF terms and I go, oh, I am all. Okay, so that's the, because we, we have, the, we call it roots, so ferments. So we just make a lot of ferments in Jamaica and everything is roots. So anything can make a ferment, anything. I mean, tambourine leaves, guava leaves, guava bark, the roots of the trees, you know, everything is kind of, you know, taught to us that way traditionally. And every herb have a different reason, you know. So your food should be a medicine and your medicine should be your food. And if you are eating these things consciously and consuming it, you will never be sick. Likewise, what you put on your plants, you get, you get them the healthiest stuff or what you would say, the highest nutrition density, and then you get the highest microbial activity that you can have, 
and then you will have the highest healthy plant. So, you know, it's, it's the same similar vibration. And if you're wanting to consume these things, much less to smoke it and put it into your cerebrals, you should want the ultimate clean. So it's not even the highest high you're looking for first. The entry level needs to be clean. And then you search for the ISI, which can always be found within. But you know the you know the entry level, the ticket you don't want to bribe your way into this party. You know, this is something that is for you and for your patients and you know your friends and your family. So the different ferments varies from geographic region to region, but they have similar tones. So if you have a very dry area, you know, a very clay area, obviously you're going to want to put a lot more organic matter into it. So you develop a lot of ways to put in trenches. You burn out your, your, your logs and your trees first, put in what you would say your biochar activity. We tend to mix it after now with a lot of cow manure and stuff like that if we want to plant immediately. If we don't want to plant immediately, then we put the long-term stuff to break down in it. All of our peeling skins and our rotten fruits and things, planting banana, guava, you know, things like these. So, you know, these are different ways. The slash and burn technique is a very common technique, clearing out a piece of land, you know, burning it. And then right after the rain, you plant in it. And then you turn the first bumper crop is all is amazing so you don't have to really amend right after now you follow through with your goat pen you know you clean out your goat pen or you clean out your cow pen or whatever it might be and you use that you know so you have different you know treatments for different ways that people use you know so it's really great some people live close to the morass so you have a very water heavy aquaponic kind of vibration in the morass mangroves kind of environment so if you have a piece of dry land and you're two miles away from the mangroves, you can take all that dried compost stuff that's banking up within the morass and all that water, you know, dried down stuff is really good. So it's really what you can source locally within your regime to bring forth, you know, your product to be the best. One of the big secrets that we have is that we know we do a lot of sugarcane farming in Jamaica. So like when the factories are cleaning their filters, that mud press filter, why that is where the farmers love to get a hold of that stuff, man. Those big filters with all that mud that's left in there. Yo, that's amazing fertilizer for your crop and the insects don't like it. You know, so it's, you know, these are things that over the years you just kind of learn and I don't question why your auntie does it. She does it and this turns out good every time. Now I'm at the point where I can explain why these things work. So when you go to a farm and they say, oh, use the molasses and this, and I'm like, all right. And we do it, and then we get a lot of bugs. You know, the termites come in and the ants come in, and you're like, man, I've never had ants before, but I've started using molasses. But then my aunt, you know, she taught us to use sweet potato. So when you're making these, you know, you use the vine, and you make your ferment, and just before you put it in, you boil your sweet potatoes, you put it in there. So now I'm realizing it's like you're getting your starch and your sugar before you put it in. And I'm not using molasses, something that's going to attract pests. So you understand, I'm, you're connecting the dots over the years. So it's still a journey, you know, but I have in the mode of acceptance first that this is how it was done naturally. So I'm not looking for proof that it can be done naturally. 
I know it can be done. So it's now just connecting the dots and replicating it and maybe providing some kind of replicatable way that can be, you know, followed. And so that's why I endorse the KNF and the Jadam and all these things. Once you provide a repl replicatable way, but as we know, there is no real one way. The key is to continually educate yourself. You know the parameters of engagement. And you diversify the portfolio at will. You know, don't never say no. You know, you, I don't think there's a pinnacle, really. But we can all agree that we can get good bud to market on time. I'm sure, you know, we can find a couple hundred people that can do that. So, you know, yeah, the journey is on, man. So give thanks for the moment and really give thanks for, you know, the truth. Awesome. Yeah, no, we're definitely, uh, definitely cool to hear about that. Um, uh, is there any other kind of maybe teas or ferments? Can you tell us more about ferments? You know, what type of time do you do it? How long? What's kind of like, um, do you have any kind of average recipes? Or is there anything that like, you want to talk about? I know that they did a lot of sweet sop, sour sop skins uh, with goat's milk and cow milk and water. That was one that they were doing on a 30 day ferment. But um, well, at least that I know that with the guys up in Westmoreland, uh, I'll leave out the location uh, for their anonymity purposes. But uh, uh, if they listen to the show, they know who they are. Um, but um, uh, do you want to tell us a little about maybe some of the different um, recipes or, or different, you know, kind of uh, specificities in terms of time or maybe ingredients beyond just the plant material and water? All right. So it's basically, as I said, local source. So if you have a lot of sour sap, you have access to goat. You now can figure out what is the best application for this in your regime. So that's really the, 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 the essence of the whole farming and get it all in. So what is producing naturally in your environment? You know, so now that we have found out that we can actually harvest microbes using IMO and all these things, that is something that shouldn't be played with. If you have a healthy feel of ganja that made it, I would collect some IMO from that field and keep it specifically in my toolkit as well. Because if I am going ganja and these microbes have assisted the ganja to go good, you know, so forest IMO, all these things, you know, we have learning. But specifically, transition. I think that's a good highlight of a lot of people that know the transition phases of your plant and find something from your environment that assist them through that transition phase. So like when a teenager, you know, they get to that long and lanky phase and they kind of look abnormal, but you know, they're going to fill out if you give them the right regime and the right. So it's a similar thing. So we use a lot of coconut water. You know, if you have aloe vera, cinco Bible, um, leaf of life, you know, so you have many different things that you use under your health regime. So never forget that. Don't wait until you're sick to take your vitamins. Keep that incorporated in part of your regime. So what is his name? Um, Chris Chump uh, uh, highlighted the OHN and these you know, it's, uh, things like this. So something healthy in the regime is always good, even for yourself as well. So you know, I know the mushrooms is on now, the agarican and the lion's mane. And, you know, so these things, don't wait until you get sick. Incorporate them into your diet and also with the plants. So in Jamaica, that's one thing I see that. Most of the farmers, are, when you pick up onto the transitioning time of your plants and give them the right nutrients that would need at that time, they have a lot better success rate. So when they're going into flowering, when they're going into springing, as we call it, 
you know, when they're going into different phases, you give them the right foods at the right time. And I find that that's a great thing. What most traditional farmers think in Jamaica is just really post-harvest care is the biggest thing they really need, the harvest. It's really hard to have an area that you can climate control, you know? So some simple things like on the highland, maybe you highlight a, a friend's house or somebody's family's house on the lowland that you can take your herb from the highland and bring it to the lowland if it's too cold up the top or vice versa. You know, if it's too hot in the lowland, then you can bring it, you know, for that two weeks. Because you just need like that little two-week window that can really make a difference of the quality of your product, you know. So, you know, that I think is a big thing. The use of like cedar, cedar wood in our drying rooms, things that dry mold naturally out of the area. It doesn't like mold, you know, so using different type of natural environmental factors in a wood especially that can assist your your dry room if you don't have an AC or a dehumidifier, these things, you know, airflow, you know, things like these, you know. So those are really the tightening up. But um, in terms of secrets, as I said before, it's just really a lot of natural elements. So we are find that using things like tambourine, what we call thinking tow, anything that's kind of hard in nature, especially going into flowering, those enzymes tend to tighten up the flowers a lot. And most of our nuggets, as you know, tend to be a little more airy, a little more open. So, you know, using these kind of things, we have seen very good success with that specific kind of reaction that will give a more bug appeal to what most people would like to see, you know. So things like those who I've seen that has been very good. Neem is also a very popular one, you know, in our culture. We have neem trees here, so we get to use that very easily. We have a lot of soap bushes, bush that produces soap naturally. So we can just soak these bushes in the water, strain them off and apply them as a foliar, and it's very good for us, you know, just to keep our insects at bay. Um, another thing that we like to do is when we weed our fields in the daytime when we pull our weeds we like to keep smoke piles going throughout the day so that really keeps the insects on off i should say and then what we have learned now is that it also gives a nice co2 so if we time it at the right time in the evening with the right feeding we can see that we can amplify the process of how the plants would recuperate or you know regenerate at these specific intervals so you know things like that been good. Nice. So, uh, what um, what type of uh, pests have you had to deal with there? I know that uh, I remember in May there was a uh, butterfly season, um, but uh, is there any kind of unique pests? I don't remember anything that was super unique to the island, but you would know far better than I would. Well, it's it's very seasonal. So what you find is like. A couple of years ago, we had this crazy white fly influence, but we could definitely tie it into some cheap fertilizer that the government worked out from another country and, you know, the larval matter and these things. So, you know, so different things like that. So we have been really on guard in terms of especially the guns of farmers, you know, making their things that they use. So in terms of pests recently, I think more on the smaller side, like the type of mites, people have been more exposed to a lot of mites. But, you know, I can really attribute a lot of it to just using a lot of compost that wasn't ready as yet. 
You know, so you're going to find that when you apply these composts to your field, you're going to find that increase in pest pressure. You understand? So it's really the whole parameters of engagement more than anything else, I would say. You know, but um, we have a worm out here that's been proven, the army beet worm that's been proven really bad to deal with. So even something like scallion and peppers that I would normally use in my IPM, these guys eat them. So, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's one, yeah, man. Even onions, they eat right into the onions and onions is normally something we would use. So for them specifically, we have found um, pheromone, pheromone chops. Yeah, we found like those to be kind of a little more successful. The BT, you know, the Bacillus sergongensis has been good. I know I'm not going to say it has not been, but um, definitely, you know, combinations. There's no one key to this thing. You have to know several forms of martial arts. There's no one thing that's going to bring it to. Judo alone ain't going to cut it, man. You got to get some, you know, other kind of things, some taekwondo yeah, man, and some I'm shit. I'm curious about the soap, the soap bush you were talking about. Can you hit, hit on that? Yeah, man. Well, we have about three or four of them, you know, that I can reach to. Um, the international one is the soap nut or the soap berry which Mr. Coote has highlighted a lot. We can use the Aki here. You know, we have the Aki that suds for us. We have a soap bush that goes like on a vine. You know, and it's literally just putting it in water for maybe a day or two, depending on the temperature. And it would really emulsify. And you just put in whatever um, essential oil. So scallion, thyme, pepper. You just kind of use that with the soap water and apply it. You know, but it's more... On the IPM regime, it's not by any means a super knockdown, knockdown. Of course, you would apply it with your knockdown. But consistently, especially at a commercial stage, I would never recommend go one week without a plant getting a, some kind of foliage. I would never recommend it. So, you know, just have these things in your regime, definitely. Do you, um, do you use it? Like, do you use it during the heat of the day? No. All my sprays happen definitely in the evening. Unless I know that I have, like, sometimes we get three, four days overcast or, like, light rain. So sure. especially if we have light rain, I love to do foliage that time just in case I fuck up, you know, the rain kind of helps, you know. And then it emulsifies a lot of it. If I get it on point, it kind of really helps to emulsify it. So if I can time it right and get like that morning rain, then I don't mind doing it. But typically, I don't like to do any soap or oil in sprays in the daytime. The only day sprays I really do is like health sprays, IMOs and you know stuff like that. No, the reason I ask is because the um, in the Jadam, they do a, the JWA, which is just a soap. It's a Castile soap. Um, and they do it, it's recommended during the heat of the day. Um, and I have a okay. buddy who does, he, he, he's like swears by it, like 12 noon and he's in Eastern Washington. And it'll be a hundred and some degrees there. And he just showed me a video. Um, I've yet to do it. He sent me a, a sample, but I don't, I don't have enough to, 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 to do. So I got to get a little bit more, um, to, cause I need to run. Well, what I would definitely say is that from what I understand in reading it, once you have your water soft enough it's very receptive it, it's very it can fluctuate easier the frequency of which it can operate is much more efficient so the heat of the day won't stress it out if you understand won't stress the particles out, away from each other so it will be all right but that to me is the key in understanding that you have to have that softening of the water on point 
to use it. You know, so that surfactant that you're covering with has to be on point. So that is where I find it because I'm just using like the raw bush with essential oils. I think if I just use a raw bush alone, I don't, I wouldn't have much of a problem. But because I use it a lot of times with essential oils, I tend to just keep it in the evening. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure with essential oils, I wouldn't fuck with that shit during the day. Um, But I'm just curious, yeah. No, and that would be perfect. I think that would be a great. But as I said, from what I understand in reading, my small reading that I read through the Jadam, that is the key that you have to make sure that that softening and compatibility is perfect. And it's not super hard. It's not rocket science. I don't want to scare anybody. It's like, you know. It's like cooking. Once you do it a couple of times, you're good. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, there's a, a lot of newer uh, newer stuff popping. I was just going over, uh, I was sharing with somebody else. The uh, cucumber beetles are real this year in Oklahoma. We're seeing them a lot, all yeah. over the place. On a bunch of different grows simultaneously. There seems to be way more than I've ever... Usually you see one or two, maybe you get a couple of leaves, but they never really did enough damage to worry about. You know, maybe they get a couple of bites in and they move on. But uh, we're seeing them cause just a lot of broad damage on the show. Uh, and people that aren't aren't treating for them. Um, there's, again, there's the culprit, the polka dot, a little bastard, um, and then the feeding. So definitely keep an eye out and then they're causing let me pull it up here this is what seems to be popping up there's this and then one other version of it but it causes this weird chlorosis in the leaves afterwards so even though this wasn't heavily fed on the leaves now dying from this mystery chlorosis infection we haven't quite figured out yet Um, we're going to be sending some samples off uh, to try and figure that out but um, for now um, yeah keep an eye out Try to keep them off your plants as best you can. Steve, what do you think has changed, honestly? Like, why are they um, different? Why are they more of a problem now? Different weather conditions, right? So we're also seeing septoria. Uh, we're seeing quite a bit of septoria. I got some pictures of that, too, from this week. Another grow. Hold on a second. This was sent to me by, by somebody. I think that's bit. almost a standard in the cannabis culture right now in terms of septoria. Yeah, it starts off like these little tiny polka dots, and then it'll rip through the whole plant. Yeah, man. Especially as it goes into flower, it's like it just gets crazy. Yeah. yeah, this is really early on. And then here, I'll show you another picture. One second. Here we go. There you go. Um, so you can see here again. This is pretty far up the plant. You can see the polka dotting all the way down if you look at it close enough. But you can see here where it's really getting to the top. Once it gets to the top of the plant, you're in, you're in deep trouble. You need to treat it before then. Um, but if you don't know what you're looking at and you think that just some water spotting or something minor, uh, by the time it looks really bad, that plant's already you know pretty much effed. Um, yeah, man, and there's no recovery, really. I mean, so I with those those types of plants, you can totally reverse it with the good labs and IMO application. But if you don't have that stuff on hand, by the time exactly. you make Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I say. And I like, that's what I say. You see, especially when you're doing outdoors, you have to be really conscious of your weather patterns. You really well, that, have to be conscious, you know? 
with septoria if you treat the field before you ever put plants in that field so like we're talking march april like way before yes. those plants are even cut as clones yet or seeded as germinated germinated as seed way way in the beginning maybe even in january and february when the, a warm spell get out there and apply some imo and some labs you know and get out there and, and get those microbes in anytime that soil's warm enough to be bioactive uh, and keep that population going if you treat that before those seeds hit that you don't we don't have those problems at all with the septoria you can have you know huge outbreaks on the plants all around you and, and it won't affect the plants because the plants have the immune system to actually defend themselves against it the plants have a per most strains can defend themselves perfectly easily against it they just have to have the microbials present in the root system you know that's why it responds so well with with you know knf treatments um but uh i agree and I, I think a good key to put on that too is also like you inoculate your rooting stuff so that's some that's kind of like a standard you know so like anything that you, you're taking that you're going to be rooting or putting into the field just like how you quarantine a clone you have to have a process don't just take the bag and throw it in there so as I said, lab it up a little bit, put in some of your microbes, like put in the police, put in two of your guys in there. At least you need to know that some of your peoples are in that organization, you know? And you find a lot more success to it, definitely. Oh yeah, but the first year in um, uh, 2019, when I was out here, when they had, you know, the first big year in Oklahoma where you could grow outdoor, um, we treated over 400 acres successfully that way with Septoria, uh, hemp fields and, and cannabis fields across, you know, combined. Um, so and that it did really 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 well and, and we were able to treat everything and, and get everything to recover unless it was ultra far along you know if you call me and the plant's completely systemic at that point it doesn't matter what you do that plant's screwed you know what i mean i mean i've seen a little mitigation in like um maybe the plant size but just overall like when they really get there I'm not, it's not one of the worst things. Like russet mites, you have some things that will just, you know what I mean? You, you'll yield nothing. You, you understand what I mean? But the septoria and so forth, you know? Yeah. What, uh, um, so have you seen a lot of purple pestle um, cultivars in Jamaica? I know that was one of the things that I saw more than anywhere else was that fuchsia purple pestles and pink Yeah, pestles. Mormon. Oh, purple! You see in other places as much. Uh, purple was just like that. That style, man. I swear, purple skunk. You know, it was just like that name brand thing. So everybody started breeding for it. If it had a purple stick, if it had a purple stripe in the stick, you know, it was it was crazy. You know, <laughs> yeah, man. So it was just one of those things that people just selectively always want to have it in your catalog. You know, you just gotta have something purple in there. You know, so it was kind of very especially in the western region you know what i mean definitely like people loved it you know it was just one of those things that was never really bred out even to this day people still you know gotta have good purple you know purple herb will just it's just one of those herbs that will just move you know it's very customer friendly no i mean it's it's what i always tell people here in oklahoma is look if you want to sell stuff, that's absolutely what to grow. If you want to have just no chance of your stuff sitting, purple, purple anything. People don't. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone to multiple dispensaries that have over a hundred strains on offer, and no purple left on the shelf. Everything else they got options, but they sell out of that within 24 hours of it hitting the shelf. 
Yeah, man. And if it actually has any flavor other than the regular, you know, the normal spicy kind of bland purple, hazy kind of vibration. If it actually has any sweet or any fuel or anything to it, and if it actually has any potency, yo, bingo, B-I-N-G-O, you know. Especially if those trikes are purple and you get that purple rosin, people lose their minds over that oh stuff. Oh my, oh my. One of the best sellers we had, I'm trying to, I can't remember the name, but I think it was a Emerald Mount, Emerald, well anyway, but it was as purple and the hairs and it was like golden. So, you know, it was really contrasting, like the pistols was golden and then it was purple, but you know, so it was really, and the leaves were green. So, you know, it was very, Oh man, it was one of those that we remember. Up to this day, people still ask about it, you know. <laughs> so do you want to tell people a little bit about kind of the traditional grow style in Jamaica? So in a lot of for the people that don't know, a lot of times they have kind of their main production field area and then they'll have a separate smaller little breeding area um, where they'll kind of do their seed production and everything else, and how it, a lot of times it's more like a village uh project than it is an individual grower uh at least in, in certain parts and other stuff do you want to tell me uh tell people maybe a little bit more about how it's kind of been traditionally grown up until recently there yeah definitely that that style you're talking about is what we call aka the nursery so we have a little nursery that we normally communally put together and usually that's for two things one if you have five people trying to do their own nursery in one geographic area, you know, to, to control pollen alone is hard enough, you know. So at least it brings some kind of concentrated efforts. And then also on a communal level now, when the, 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 the genetics are shared, it strengthens the whole product of the community itself. So traditionally you have three sets of herbs that people really plant. One that they really sell, or, uh, you know, exchange, barter is a real big thing here in Jamaica, especially. It's real. I'd say 50% is sold and 50% is maybe bartered, you know. So they trade it for things that they might need. It's still very live. And then, you know, they have a feel that they plan for themselves. That's like the personal smoke, you know. We call it the under the mattress or the under the bed. That's what they keep in their closet to smoke, you know. So they have the personal smoke and then the nursery. The nursery, you know, you know, we're not really traditionally used to purchasing seeds of any type as a regular habit. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that is not the norm. So if you're planting pumpkins, cucumbers, corn, ganja, it doesn't matter what you plant. You keep back a set of seeds for yourself or you set a nursery between you and your partner. So it's just a tradition that's right across, you know. So that's really how it's kind of set up, you know. And it kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a good and a bad thing because a lot of times, one, you have certain, certain districts now are very resistant to the new strain. So they don't want anything that's OG, no, anything that's basically under, you know, four months, five months to production. They don't want the short, the short term herbs. They really like the long traditional nine months, 10 months ganja, you know, and it's not about the look. It's not about, it's just something about tradition that they just keep vibrant. And we really have to give thanks because I can tell you that when we provide medicine out of these particular herbs, it has a repeat nature for real people that have real medicinal issues. 
that is the one that comes back with the highest request of demand. And the biggest thing is that they're saying it's give them a more balanced experience. So even in the pain, so we find that these traditional land-raised herbs, you know, it's kind of on a medicinal level from somebody that is, you know, this diseased is a little more, you know, better for them to accept. So, you know, really give thanks. But the individual microclimates really are great because you can find these cultivars now being adapted and acclimatized in these areas. And a lot of breeders themselves can come back and see like, man, I, I thought I lost the cheese, but you guys have something very similar. You know, the NL5 are, you know, and they are the ones that really tell us the names because honestly, we don't really traditionally keep the names that important. Ganja is either high grade or it's bushweed. So, you know, it's just recently now that people are getting, oh, this is, Bob's Conk or Triangle Kosher, you know, whatever, you know, it's getting real namey, namey right now. Everything is name, name, name. You're not even sure what it is. It's just a name. But traditionally, you know, really just had, you know, the high grade, uh, yeah, you know, bush, you know. So And then commercial, there's always commercial, commercial value. That's one that's bulk, what we call bulk. So you have ears that's just traditionally known for planting bulk. Those farmers don't really deal with small amount, you know. And then you have areas now that you have consist of 50 to 100 small farmers. So, you know, it's really kind of different. So you have one area then, let's first say 100 acres, that it's two farmers that's controlling it. And then you have another area that's 50 acres that have over 50 different farmers. Every man just plant one acre or a small plot. And, you know, it's a real tradition of high grade who has the best, you know? So, yeah, man, it's a nice vibration right across. And I think even now people are being, people are valuing the original breeders that you will provide seed. Because you had ones that were traditionally just known as the breeders. They are the ones that preserve the genetics and ensure that they keep the ginger skunk planted together every year or keep the put in the red beard every year at least three or four plants or at least three or what we call a plot you know you just put out some plots of seeds and ensure that these seeds are kept fresh whether every three years or every five years now they have their rotation and a lot of time now you know i wish i could even go to a forum one day and really call some of these individual names some stalwarts in our industry and when I say stalwarts, let me give you some an example. One of them, one of my icons, when he takes you to grow in his field, you cannot work with him more than one year. After that year, you have to leave. He gives you a matches box of seeds and he tells you to go and make life for yourself. So he taught you how to grow, he taught you how to reap, he taught you, you understand? And some people thought he was rude and things like that. But when I look back and see how many people he taught this skill that they could make themselves a man and send their children to school and things like this, you know, it, it was a wonderful thing. So, you know, it would be nice to some, someday to can, you know what I mean, go out and I really give a medal, but you know, something like that, you know what I mean? And so, yo, I really appreciate that this person deserve an award, you know? So, you know, it's, it's really his tradition. So these fields, 
you want to do you want to mention about the palm tree and what they're doing with this and kind of what some of the other plants are in these plots um what what what's the significance they told you to do with that card that for us so they use that to to tie the bundles right that's what i'm saying it's more of a, a rope material if you don't want to get thread or anything you have to kind of have one of these close so you strip it and beat it and you twine it together and it's one of the strongest ropes you'll ever have really but it's really good thatch ropes they make for a lot of ropes as well you know so the water runs right off of it and waterproof things like that a lot of times you'll see like melon a lot of pepper you know different fruit trees kalalu especially is a big one that goes there because you have to eat you're in the bush so you have to have something to eat you'll never see a ganja farm hardly that doesn't have food just like how you have a nursery somewhere that you grow for your seeds you're gonna have a plant that has potatoes yam banana you know yeah something like that you know you want to uh so were they doing the the week three week four seed pull where you were with the on where i was in westmoreland the um this was right when they pulled the the males but on week three they go through and pull all the tall ones the tall ones yes. and the, the short yeah ones. usually depending on your cycle like westmoreland has a very fast cycle so they can spit out that's where you would see like a lot of i don't know if you want to say art of flowering but very fast flowering genetics for sure you know, so like even this field, it might not get maybe higher than three feet, four feet at most. But, you know, they're tightly planted and they're going to be producing heavily. So, you know, it's a quick rotation. You burn the field, amend it lightly, whether you use guano or, you know, whatever you might use for your amendments. You drop your seeds. Usually we do it by the moon cycle. Or as I say, within three to four weeks, the plants will start showing the sex. And then you can pull your male plants instantly, you know, and then, then you search it again, usually about the next two to three weeks after that and pull them after and then you should, you just leave them pretty much, you know. Some people are in the field daily, it depends, I'm saying you have different farmers, this is not really a total gorilla farm, you can see that people are there constantly just because of the weeding, you know, once you see a clean field like this going into this, you know that people are there consistently my personal feel it would be like you, you want to the ground there'll be everything covered you know what i mean boy yeah man these are the spears come up and you know the variety the varieties are endless you're, you're not gonna see a super consistent feel i'd say maybe in the past five years we have started taking cloning consistently where you can maybe find now you know half acre plots of clones stuff like that but you know, right now it's really mostly from seed, super vigorous and fast. And from seed to finish within six to eight weeks, sometime within 10 weeks maximum, you can rotate a crop, rotate a field. You got the, in case you guys didn't notice, you can see the ocean there in the background. <laughs> it's an amazing place to, to come learn from for a while. Man, I look like Kilman. I'm a pen. But um, so what are kind of the more popular strains currently there? 
Well, right now we have something called African pine. It's going to be a pine in summer. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, man. And um, the wedding cake is actually still doing pretty good. It's a very, it's one of the few narcotic strains that can actually do well out here consistently. You know, a lot of them, they start out super narcotic and then they just go into that very cerebral kind of vibration within the third or fourth generation. You know, so that's been really the cherry, the cherry, there's been a lot of cherry recently as well. So a lot of like, you know, skunk cherries, platinum cherries, peanut kind of cherries, you know, so it's been a kind of heavy. But you know how it is, you know, something comes in and it gets crossed up to a few different locals and then those get mass produced and by next season it's something else. So that's typically what's going on. But you definitely see a lot more greenhouse production. That's what I can tell you, especially on the lower end of the market, I would say. So not only on the, <clears throat> the entertainers are not the only ones that are seeing the, the greenhouse productions now. You find it becoming very consistent and the cloning, the very consistency in the herbs. You find it becoming very um, prominent now within the market space, definitely. Um, what about um, uh, charas or in Jamaica, they call it gum. Uh, you want to tell people a little bit about that? It's probably my single favorite thing to smoke when I'm down there. Well, gum, gum is kind of a tradition in terms of we have a specific area in Jamaica that deals with that on a bulk scale. So if you want to do it, traditionally that area is known for what you would say charas or hand rubbing. So even the varieties of herbs that have been grown in that era is totally different. They don't want that kush type stuff. And you understand they are pulling charas from their fields maybe three times for the season, four times. And they're still going to harvest it and sell it as a smokable product, you know. So these are traditions that are kept. But you have that communities are those communities that do it. And... They have many different ways. People get wild with it sometimes. They wrap bugs around themselves and run through the field in the middle of the day when the sun is hot because it, the, the gum gets all sticky and then they go into the shade and scrape the gum. And you have people that are the hand rubbers. They go to and they have a tradition that they pull the plants first, take off the big leaves off the ones that they're going to rub first. And then they wait at a certain time and they rub from this angle to that angle and you know, they have a super good technique where they can maximize the pull per plant without totally fucking it up and then allowing it to be able to revegetate, re-come back, and they can check that plant within, you know, maybe four to six weeks and get another crop of cherries off of it. You know, so it's, it's crazy how they do it field by field. So they do like this row and then they do another row or half a plant. So as I'm saying they're, they're very technical based on the, the different districts that you go, you know, so, you know, it, it's kind of nice. And then in the, in what you'd say, you know, in the more wider spread community, most people that have charas or gum, as we call it, finger gum, it does have a product uh, in terms of a high demand in the tourist environments and certain uptown environments, especially. But traditionally, it is really a gift. So it is something that like my uncle would harvest his crop and he'd have like maybe a, you know, a tennis ball or a golf ball of charas that he accumulate. 
and he, he might break it up into three or four and say, okay, this one is for Bob, this one is for Uncle. And he just kind of puts it down. So it, it kind of has that notoriety as well that, you know, it's kind of special. Some people really like it. So like people that know that Steve really like it. No, if I have a particular plant and I say, all right, I just put it down and know that, all right, that is a Steve. Whenever he gets here, that is his. You know, so it has that notoriety as well, too, where it's not how much a gram or, you know, that was really, it can go that way, but, you know, it, it really has another value as well to some people that they won't even sell it. If you really want it, they'll just give it to you and say, okay, just, you know, buy me a beer or give me a donut. You understand? That's kind of like bartering. As I said, bartering is very, real in essence you know so especially where that is concerned it's a very unique crap you know some people won't accept it from any and anybody because you don't know if that person went to the bathroom and didn't wash their hands while they were making the charas or that person eats meat and then they didn't wash. you know it's kind of everybody gets you know, crazy about that specific thing. As I said, it has a very unique notoriety about it on all ends of the spectrum. I give thanks. Gum, good old finger ash, you know, gum. Yeah, man. Uh, what have, how have you kind of seen the cultivars change, uh, I guess, over time down there? Well, it definitely got a lot faster in the 2000. Everybody, you know, from I would say maybe the 90, 95s coming up, everybody wanted to do six week herb. That was the goal from start to finish in six weeks, you know, and eight weeks. So it really became super dominant. Even right now, it's like super consistent in certain areas. They can really tell you from start to finish when that feel is coming in. And you have seen it yourself. They just rotate these fields and keep them going, you know, like I see a green kind of vibration, you know, and that is what I've seen. And then on the, what I would say now on the niche market, I have seen people really going to the extremes to take advantage of the Jamaican environment. So, for example, knowing that we can actually grow a 10-month African strain or a real Durban or a real Indian Kerala, which is probably one of my favorites that I have gone through so far. Nice producing. Like you would never know that herb did not come from Jamaica to how it fit in the environment. It's, it's like it spoke our dialect, if you understand. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. So I've seen a lot of that coming up too recently, but um, definitely the, the mainstream has gone mainstream. So anything that you can say is mainstream, we really have it. And what I love about Jamaica is that because of the spread, if it's super popular on the East Coast, it will be here. If it's super popular on the West Coast, it will be here. You know, so it's kind of like that small little city that everything kind of bubbles under, you know. So, yeah, man. And I can tell you on a smaller note, too, they are really there three companies that I have known that really um, interfered a little bit with, with uh, some of our lamb's bread sessions. And I guess they were verified to do some crossings. And, you know, from what I've heard, they're planning to make it available. So 
I'll keep further. I think they won't do it till next year from what I'm hearing. But um, it's companies that you guys are very familiar with. So, you know, I think it's a Lambsbed OG was one of them, a Lambsbed Clementine. And it's like for a Lambsbed Blue Dream, you know, whatever. But as I said, it's neither here nor there to me personally. You know, I just give thanks for the moment and give thanks. But I can say that the ones that I have experienced, I like that minty kind of vibrations, you know, like it brings one a lot of the strains, that mint. So I think Mr. Trees have a minty kind of vibration going. So, you know, I just like the, the differences that's coming in. It's always something different, always something new. I will give thanks. Awesome. Uh, Humidor, did you have uh, any questions for Bob? Uh, yeah. Uh, how's the, speaking of the mainstream, <laughs> mainstream strains, how's the like uh, mainstreaming of weed in Jamaica? Because I think it's a little bit more legal than, than in the U.S., right, Bob? So like, how is it, uh, you've said before on the EO show and other times that there used to be a lot of stigma, actually, surprisingly, a lot of people think like, oh, everyone in, in Jamaica loves weed, blah, blah, blah. But Actually, the Rosses have had kind of a lot of stigma uh, piled on them and they've had their field burn and all kinds of crazy shit. So, like, how is that whole situation kind of developing? Well, it hasn't stopped. I want to tell you, even recently, a lot of the fields have been continually burning. Hmm. But just like the planters keep planting and what we're finding now, more organizations are coming forward. Because that's the thing that we really didn't have, a lot of organization, you know? So it's not like a gross society or a gross co-op or a gross group. But the need for these have arisen and we have seen people have responded and have you know, attacked the ministries and the relevant authorities. And we have seen at least the communications have started. Let's put it that way. So there's a group, I think they're called Raga, Rastafari. Um, advocates of you know grassroots and ganja association so they kind of include everybody so what you really have is that you have a legal framework right so you have the legalized medicinal dispensaries and you legalized grow kind of like a metric system and then they amended the law that ones that are adherent to the Rastafari and faith there as a sacramental purpose it, it is allowed now there is no they cannot regulate one of our Rastafari, you understand, of our indigenous, you cannot regulate us. So it's really us to declare what we are doing and just be straight. So if I'm going an acre for this church or this particular organization, I need to really be straight and declare myself. Whether I go into the direct Ministry of Justice and the local police authority and say, hey, so don't wait until they come and raid your place. And now, so they, they, when they raid, they're not arresting anybody. They're not charging anybody. They're just destroying a lot of property. But then they're also destroying the genetics. They're destroying the work. You know, so we know as growers, it kind of, the effect that it has. So yes, it did take away a crop, but also, you know, what if it's that crop that we were trying to preserve? This is like that 90s gold shit that we wanted and you just fucked it up, man. Come on, you, you understand? So we even want to kind of negotiate with them that, these officers that are in the field that were traditionally trained to cut down the fields, encourage them to understand what a good ganja field looks like and probably something that, hey, probably this farmer should be legal. Let me get him signed up or, or something like that. Maybe that's a bit extreme, but you know what I mean? Get the communication more friendly. That's really what I'm thinking, you know? So 
that's really where I've seen it going. So this Rastafari group has come forward and said, okay, we have been clear in terms of sacrament, but let's also include all grassroots people. So every Jamaican is entitled to five trees. And as you know, the five trees and the two ounces is not equal. You know, you, so even that, things like that, you know, the communicate, that's what I'm saying. When I hear you guys talking about it earlier, I said, oh, wow, it's the same conversation everywhere. People that don't understand what about something are trying to regulate and make rules about it. So I don't know anything about basketball, but yet I want to create a tournament. Okay, I could have just started with a game like a little backyard match and see how that worked. But no, I wanted to create the whole NBA. And I don't know anything about basketball. Yes, and so it's kind of like that. So it's one of these things that we are taking our time. As I said, we really give thanks that it happened and it's taking place and negotiation, but more efforts need to be made into unity and moving forward as one. So let's put it that way. And more we can get our people involved, and this is a universal statement, more we can get our people involved in the actual writing of the laws and the administration of them, then the better it will be for everyone. So let's put it that way, you know. So that's why I like when we discuss these things and we say this, we can give them solutions. Like say, hey, instead of giving us a plant count, why don't you just cap us at a volume per year? Or, you know, something like that, an agreeable volume or, you know. So if I want to do one big crop for the year, if I want to do five or, you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? If my one crop didn't make it and I want to compost it, I compost it, I can go again without a penalty. You know, so what I'm saying, it's nice when we can, you know, as people that's involved, we really push the solutions forward that's workable on two sides. You know, it's nice to wave some taxes in them face and be like, hey, you're missing out on these millions over here. If you do this, we'll be happily sign on. And you understand what I mean? So. Yeah, it's a balance. You understand? It's not good to just make a lot of noise. It's nice when we can come with the solutions. So that's why I really give thanks. Oh, we're having pest problems. And, you know, Steve can tell you about, yo, collecting fucking locust carcasses and blah, blah, blah. And I, have, I heard about it and tried it with the freaking worms. And it freaking works. Like worms don't, something about it. I don't know if they just don't like the smell. They don't, dead worms dying. I don't know, but whatever, it worked, yeah. To add to that, there's another guy who took that same concept and used it for slugs, and it's working really well for slug control. They're able to breed the nematodes on the corpses. Uh, of yeah, man, he just first, because right now I have my first set I just captured. Like, I swear to you, I didn't even want to say anything. I thought that was going to be groundbreaking technology coming forward in two weeks. God, yeah, God. it was uh, collect the slugs at night in mass. Look for injured and leaking ones, especially the ones that look a little bit fucked up. Uh, and then put them in a slug bucket with water with a single leaf in the middle as an island and let them eat the, like, let let just a couple of them kind of live on that and kind of eat the plant and then kind of drown, you know, so they're kind of like on a delayed death. Um, right. And, and then um, it says once, once they all start dying, collect the mucus near the dead ones and use it to make a neem spray. So well, that, I kind of add what I do. It's the same day I collect the slugs. You realize that that's basically like the plot of Prometheus, right? <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
What's that? Uh, You're going to have to explain. I don't know Prometheus. Yeah. This guy, Ridley Scott's science fiction movie where they create aliens that do terrible stuff. I was joking. Go ahead, Bob. Okay. Right. I was going to say, yeah. the guy that gave me the recipe swore that it worked. Uh, 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 anyways, uh, it's something to try. I'm going to try it and see if it works before I, I, uh, I put it out more, but it's definitely something to, uh, to try. Uh, it's definitely worth trying. As I say, what I do, I collect them and I have some of them almost dead and the rest of them drying. But a slimy part now, what I kind of do, the same neem water that I soak it with, I soak both of them. So I have the neem soaking for a day. I have the slugs dying and getting slimy. Put them together on the second day. Leave them together for one day. So it's like a three-day process. So two days apart dying, breaking down, one day together and the third day out, you know. So as I said before, I haven't any data to see if it's working, but I'm just fucking around with some shit. Yeah, hey, that's how we all figure stuff out, eh? Yeah, man. But as I said, you said that IMO rice collection, as I said, I just find there's something about... That's what I did with the, the caterpillars. You know, that's when I put it on. I put on the dead ones with the live IMO, and I tell you, it worked like a charm, bro. That stuff works, man. You, you can use the corpses of the, the local insects that you're trying to wipe out uh, in order to collect the microbes that would feed on them, right? You just use them, you know, if you're trying to find collect parasites, put out a bunch of corpses of what it is that you're trying to attract, right? It, it doesn't always work, but it works if that microbe is present, it, it will. And if you can find stuff that feeds on the exoskeletons of harder body insects or stuff that feeds on you know, some other portion or something that infects them and, and help, you know, propagate that parasite. That's great, you know, especially for, for our purposes. You see the same IMO box is the same thing. So like you have an IMO box that's like one foot, you know. So 10 inches of it is going to be like the rice shit, you know, and then like on the side, that's where I put like the dead stuff. And I, I swear to the mycelium just crawls across. I'm like, yes, you know, yo. But as I said before, man, I don't want you know, try it, try it, fuck around and report. But yeah, it was a one-time thing and it really worked. I still have some of the collection and it's just by not being stable. You know, if you're not in one place for too long, it's really hard to kind of, like I'm scared to even pop seeds like I really want to, but you know what I mean? You're not going to be here and yeah. yeah. So my sons are doing a great job. I really give thanks. I mean, most of the stuff I'm smoking now, it's they're the ones. So I popped them, got them up to maybe like three feet, and I left them, and they brought it to to harvest and cut them, charred them up. As, well, they didn't charred them up. They just kind of trimmed them and left them hanging in the closet, which is good for me. That's Jamaica. You can stay there for one year. You know, I'm good. I just keep smoking off the tree, you know. Good. Good. A, a question from chat. Um... Uh, can you ask Rasta Bob what's, what he feels the biggest differences between uh, old school cultivars and the newer school cultivars in general are that you're seeing being grown in Jamaica? Like we kind of asked that question a little bit earlier, but... Um, well, timing. Timing is one of them. The timing it takes to get to market, definitely. You know, most of the old school ones just took a long time. And, um, you know, the looks, the style... You know, the style and the pattern is a different difference. But, let's, you know, let's put it this way. Like, you know, if, if I really have one of these nice strains, I think me and even Fumudo talk about this already. But, you know, if, 
you have one of these nice trains. No. What's wrong with those train again? Fucking um tits. You always have the tits train anyway. But it's sugar well, tits. Yeah. That was so sugar tits was subcools. Yeah, that was I love to say it, but that was uh, he gets to say that. Well, I get to say it because he sent it to me, but yeah. I, yeah, I feel man. like we're playing with fire if everybody else. Well, you can say it because uh Bob, you can say it because I mean, why can't you? Sugar tits. It's a, it's a wonderful name for a strain. I think it's hilarious. Well, I just one of those that you said that always, you know, comes it's, to memory. It, it's wonderful. It, it rolls off the tongue. But it's one of those things that it's, uh, how do I put it? It's meant in levity. You know what I mean? It's meant in complete levity. It's meant in just like goofball, like just goofiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not meant to be serious or anything else. But, uh, but it's from uh, Subcool. Yeah. But the OG, Kushar, you know, whatever. But if we have any one of these and we give it to one of our uncles in the 70s and they consumed it, I don't think they're going to be like, oh, this is trash. You understand what I mean? So, and it's vice versa. When you get a different experience now of something that's, it smells super lemony, you know, super nice and tangy. But when you smoke it, it's just like peppery and spicy. And then the more you smoke it, it's like the higher you get till you probably want to stop smoking for a little bit. It's just a different experience. You know, a different style, you know, a different, yeah. So there's no good, no bad. I like the ugly. So, you know, it's all great. But that's the biggest difference I can see. The timing it takes to get to market, you know, that's the real major difference. And, you know, good herb is a good herb. Good herb always existed from then till now. You know, bad herb would always exi exist from then till now. I'm sure there's bushwick, shwaga, whatever you call it mids you know still around and whatever so it's always going to exist from then till now you know but i definitely see that the timing that is one of the biggest thing i can say that has been majorly improved in jamaica in terms of consistently it's almost like you don't even see 10 months and 12 months herb again you really don't even see that you know you might see some five to six months about but that's about it you know but an average uh dread Speaking of sugar tits, that's the uh, the mom was sugar tits. So uh, so that people don't think we're just goofballs or whatever. It, it was actually something I bred with, and it was uh, uh, like a pretty strain. So anyway, the mom is sugar tits, and the dad is uh, Ruby Jack, and uh, Zoso J grew this really really well. Anyway. Yeah, man, the Morgan I think is our next one. I hear people talking right. about a lot. That's a pretty one. I think I don't know if she's just yeah. a pretty dance. I need to taste it, you know. But until then, it's just nice. Yeah. Then again, I what, would. You know, so. Was she also bred to the Ruby Jack? She was bred to the Ruby Jack. Yep, that was all the dads pretty much so far. Yeah, the Ruby Jack F two basically, um, yeah. and it, it's uh, given like this cool uh, candy, uh, candy wine turp. I think to almost everything. So, I mean, some people would think like, "Oh my god, what the fuck, candy?" No, it's I just mean, consistent. We, we big enough for everybody. Go ahead. Yes, man. Yes, man. There's never, and you're only gonna grow the pie. Believe me, don't worry about taking a piece of the market or cut. Nah, you're only growing the pie, my brother. I don't think, yeah. You understand it's not like that 0.2% or the 3% of the breeder market that's out there that people might think, you know, nah, don't worry about it. I think it only grows the pie. Right. Yeah, man, diversity, man. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, man. There's no reason why people have to kind of compete, you know. Not everybody has to have, uh, who was it, um, well, whatever. Somebody was talking about like uh, armpit funk earlier, maybe on the show or something like not everybody has to breed that. And the person that does breed that, man, people will flock to that person. And somebody else can breed like 
orange strains. You know, I know a few people who think, oh my God, I can't stand orange. But some people love orange and they'll flock to those people. You know, so like you say, you're just growing the pie, I feel like. Yeah, man, that is it, my brother. And the pie will never stop growing. That's the great thing I say about ganja. So even something like mango or citrus or even apples, even though there's a whole lot of them, there's still a fairly limited variety. You know what I mean? To start with, if you understand what I mean, you know? But if you're starting with this cannabis thing now, look at the spectrum which you have to start you know, to try and dial it down. I wouldn't even say how dare you, but yeah, keep trying. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's just celebrate what you're doing and keep moving. There's going to be no, you know? For now, I don't see it happening where, yeah. I love it. I just love the diverse and we just celebrate it, my brother. You know what I mean? Classic. We had another question in chat. Um, what are your thoughts on malted barley? Have you used malted barley at all? Well, I use it in the States. You know, Coot was the one that really brought me on to it. But put it this way, anything that you're going to use, I would always recommend understand the parameters of it. What is this thing supposed to do? And then you look at your environment. Do you really need it? You understand what I mean? And then if you need it, when do you need it and why? So it's, it's kind of like that, but I found very good response with it. Like when I mix it up with like my worm castings and stuff like that, like the mycelium is ridiculous. I'm talking maybe three, four days, man, webbing like crazy, you know? So I really like it. Um, the aeration factor, you know, some people, I don't really look at it for that, but I guess it does give it some of that as well, you know, no denying it, but it's all going to break down too, right? So I don't know. I wouldn't rely on it for that. That's all I'm saying. But I really like what it brings to the table in terms of making things available. So put it this way. Generally, once you can find yourself a solid humic acid or anything that's in a humic form, your best source, even multiple sources, but once you have multiple quality sources of humic acid, that will complement almost anything you're putting into the root zone. Same so with a good fulvic acid when you're doing your foliar. Once you have something really, you know, once you complement it with that fulvic acid, it will really enhance that availability, especially to the plants. So it's kind of like that with the, the barley. Some things that you just mix it with that barley, you just find that you're just going to get that response right away, a lot better. So it's one of those go-to. In the islands here, you know, barley is not very... Easy to get. But what do you want from the barley? You want something that provides high enzymatic activity. What do you have locally that you can source that can give you high enzymatic activity and not compromise your plant health? And that is where you go. So different kind of beans, groundnuts, peanuts, if you have it here, even the shells of the peanut, if you ground it up, right up, mix it with a quality manure. You know, you have certain different ways you can get the recipe that you want. So you want sugar? No, I just really need something sweet. So do you have stevia? Do you have honey? You understand what I mean? So it's kind of like that. So if you want the high enzymatic activity, you look for what you can, you know, provide to your plant. So maybe even the slug. Now, I don't know if that slime that they put off is a high enzyme. So maybe collecting some slug slime and mixing it, in, you know, we can get it to break down quicker. Who knows, you know, because... Yeah, so I'm just saying it's just like that ideology. So don't ever doubt your intuition when you're doing these things. 
you know, really work with it. And the plant talks to you a lot. And the more you're doing it, experience is the greatest teacher. And the wisdom is just the application of what you learn. So there's only one way to get wise. It's just to keep applying, you know. So you educate, apply, educate, apply. You know, and I don't think there is any. Well, if there's any ultimate, that is where it is. It's in the journey. It's not a destination directly, you know. So give our thanks. I did yep. see one thing with the barley, though. It really does attract a lot of mice. So if you do have like issues with pests and stuff like that, like throwing that shit in open field, if you have gophers and all these other yeah. crazy animals that we don't really have in Jamaica, you know, I think the biggest threat we have in Jamaica is two foot animals. You know what I mean? So I don't think, I don't think there's any other bigger threat that I worry it about. Sounds ridiculous, right? But like uh, mice are kind of, uh, I don't even know, but I think that the mice that we mostly have are actually like European field mice or whatever that basically evolved in our grain silos. So basically like we have domesticated mice that we brought with us on like grain ships and stuff, like the English and stuff brought these mice accidentally to North America. And now basically those are the mice that everybody has. Probably Jamaica. Those are probably the the, the English mice basically probably, like, involved man. in grain silos. So the point is like they have a sniffer for that food, like on a genetic level. Like, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you'll basically smell barley, like I don't know what that is. And when you smell beer, you'll be like, oh now I know what that is. <laughs> but the barley is, I don't know, it's grainy. I don't know, it's like maybe bread, whatever. The fucking mice, they know what that is, man, on like a genetic level, seriously. So yeah. You need a cat. If you start to use barley, you need a cat. Yeah, man. I just, I just say, you know, just put a whole shitload, you know. They can, they can eat. They put aeration in the soil. They won't go chewing on any fucking thing else. And I don't know. If they're only eating barley, I guess that's castings. I don't know what you would call worm, rat shit. But, whatever. but just be aware. That's all I'm saying. Just be aware of the pests that you use with a lot of these organic inputs, especially seeds, sprout teas. You know, you're throwing these things, dumping it out in your field. You know, you're going to attract birds, raccoons, you know, like I'm saying, so you just have to be aware of all these different. So it's nice for your plant, but sometimes it's better you have a trench method. So like me personally, when I go to some places, I like to put like a long four foot bed. Maybe I put a trench right down the middle. And if I'm putting in anything, that's where I put it and I can cover it enough. So at least the birds and stuff like that won't get to it. So it's just the, the mice and the moles and things underneath I have to worry about. So there's always something to worry about, you know? So just consider it. That's all I'm saying. Just consider it when you're putting it in there. Like I've known people that use, I see somebody talk about fish. I can hardly read the chat. I'm not good at multitasking either. So reading this chat and trying to think and talk and my lungs need some ganja. So I probably should take a smoke shortly. But um. Yeah, so, you know, I remember one guy used fish and then, yo, I think the next day, like, dogs just ran through the field and dug up all the fucking weed out. You know, like, it was crazy. And then we're not checking the fields every day. So you're going to see that, like, you know, 10 days after it fucking happened. So it's like, whoever made it now is growing on its side, growing sideways, trying to gum up and making like, you know, it's, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm just saying, just be aware of you know, the parameters that, when you're putting in these things, it can really attract some other things that you do. Just like I always said, the molasses brings in, you know, the, the duckans, what they call duckans, um, termites. 
and um, ants themselves, you know, and a lot of insects, a lot of these seeds, sprout teas, and these natural things really bring in a lot of animals as well. You know, deer, you know, you'd be surprised what these things are attracted to. Cows. Uh, we had another question from Shada about um, uh, if, about autoflowers and if you've seen them not too much. I think the only ones that I saw when I was down there were, there was a strain called like 47 or 48 or something like that. That was the only one that I had even heard of down there when I was down there. Yeah, man, there are a few of them, especially recently now. You know, they're definitely a lot more now than they were before. But you see, just because of the fact that, you know, they're, they're, you have to one, get it back from the breeder. And secondly, to run your nursery to breed out of flowers, a lot of time, it, the cross pollination that affects. So I would say we have what's known as a lot of fast flowering genetics. So that's a lot of quick, but in terms of actual auto flowering, I would say not a whole lot. Just because of the fact that, you know, it's not a lot of indoor breeding. So the assisted light outdoors, it's not really, you know, what you would say, it's not really conducive to the auto flowering. It will never get more than 13 hours, 12 hours of light. So you understand what I mean? You just have like blow pops literally all over the field. You know what I mean? But we have a lot of fast flowering genetics that believe me, you'd be surprised how they go from skinny to fat in four weeks. Like woof. Yeah, like really fast flowering, you know? Um, we had a, does Bob add supplemental lighting in his fields or use later flowering strains? Well, it depends on the growers that I work with. So I personally just have like three gardens that I really, I wouldn't say fields, you know, so I don't have real, you know, but we have supplemental lighting in maybe about 15 of the farms that I do work with across the island. But I've been kind of breaking them away from it and then kind of keeping them to maybe a nursery style where you just keep like your mothers and some cloning and a vegetative area. And then chance them, I really don't like that lighting up the whole field. And you know what I mean? It like fucks with nature and just the whole natural ecosystem. It kind of, you know what I mean? It brings in a lot of undesirables activity, you know? Awesome. Uh, let me see what other questions we have here in our chat. I wanted to ask Bob about straight lamb's bread genetics. That's from Josh. He's having internet issues. Well, let's say for now I'd like to keep the story going that um, the lamb's bread is non-existent. Let's just keep that story going. But I'm sure by we hit F8, we can revamp the story. So the next two grows will be good to go. I don't know if that answers, but definitely lamb's bread and king's bread. That's a real bulkier version. And also the pistils on it is known to be long and curly. So they don't stand straight. They come out long and they curl over. That's a very distinct feature of the king's bread. So your normal here is that we get pollinated. Not only do they come out straight, they come out and actually curl. Like even in their wide stage, it's been known for that kind of look corn, you know, like that corn silk looking like they've been kind of look like that now when the product is finished. So that's a very notable feature of the king's bread. 
Oh yeah, I've, I've never heard of King's bread, so that's really cool. Is there any other traits to it? What's the the turf profile like? Uh, it's definitely more on the the woodier side, more woody than spicy. So it is spicy, but it has more woody floral notes. More as where the lamb's bread would be maybe a little more spicy. Sometimes floral and sweet, depending on the geographic environment. But as I said, the smell on the nose and the exhale would most times be two complete different vibrations. You know, that's why that skunk came in and was so different because it was just super consistent in the smell, the inhale, and the exhale. That was what really made that skunk variety stood out. And the king's bird now. I said that one has been known to. I said it's a bit more on the woodier side, so it's more woodier with little accents of floral notes and stuff like that. But more like myceliumish kind of mass kind of vibration, you know. But it's from the eastern side mostly on a black side side of the island. That is where it was really originated. I think I think we just determined uh, determined something with humidor too. No, <laughs> to be announced. Um, <laughs> um, let me see here. Um, is there any other kind of I guess unique, unique things um, about growing in Jamaica that you think maybe people need to know? Uh, or maybe advice for people that are coming off of the boats and stuff to, uh, you know, not buy anything near the airport, don't buy anything off the beach if you want anything good? Yeah, man. And I think that's mm -hmm. a general thing that when you go anywhere, when you travel, probably the first person that greets you and approaches is probably not the one you should, you know. But um, the nose knows, you know, I said stick to your intuition as well and don't be afraid to say no. Like, really, don't be afraid to say no. Be like, nah, I think I'm going to get something better. Because I'd say nine out of ten times, they probably do have two or three other things that they can probably get you. And if them themselves, they know who to get it from, but they probably just need to hustle the money. I mean, the tourist areas, let's put it this way. You have guys from Kingston that we consider them, quote, unquote, soft, or they're not very... Their social skills need to be established. So you send them to areas like Negril and Ocho Rios and these tourist areas, and they come back sharp. Their marketing skills, their sales skills have drastically improved. So these areas are very, you know, concentrated for these types of marketing activities. You understand? So this stone was by bob marley's house and he used to see you know yeah you'd be yeah yeah you'd be yeah so i'm just saying so yeah it's one of, but it does it's, it's definitely there so don't be afraid to ask either and you know, don't be afraid to say no just don't be yaman to everything it's not no let we say yaman you know what I mean? so what uh on another note um what's the best uh Jamaican spice pumpkin soup that you've had. The best one I had was at that place by Marcus Garvey House, but uh, maybe you can turn me on to a better place. Well, I can tell you this. I'm not 
much of a person that eats from any commercial entity or more of a home cooker or you know so that's really the tradition but when i used to eat like meat and stuff like that there's a a family of mine a set of cousins of mine not because it's my family but i mean this is their tradition for years they have the big pot of soup on the railroad tracks in saint elizabeth when you're heading down to junction and i can tell you peanut yams carrots cow skin you know, they have all kind of different soup but i'm telling you when it talks about naturally thick and creamy like the typical jamaican soup is thick is food when you eat it your belly is full it's a meal in america what i realize your soup is like broth it's more like a broth what we would call broth it's like flavored water like um what they call it? chinese you know chinese food is more like flavored water you know it's like wonton soup or noodle soup or whatever our soup is food you know it's like real thick you see you know, like a cup of corn, we'll cut it into three pieces and have it in the soup, in your bowl. You know, you have big dumplings and yam in there. And, you know, if you eat meat, you'll have, you know, pieces of meat looking at you. And, but the liquid itself is actually thick. Because just for example, if you have a five-gallon pot, maybe you put like a 10-pound pumpkin or a five, you know, in there. And then you're going to put like, say, 10, you know, five coconuts in there to make coconut milk. And you put your, you, you understand? So the soup, the liquid itself gets really thick. So just imagine maybe putting like two dozen potatoes then. When it boils out, the water itself is going to be thick, flavored, you know, coconut, stew kind of vibration. So it's like most of our soup will be in between a stew and a soup, I guess. You know what I mean? So even my son's, they have a joke that they, the papa, what you cooking today? Stew. So it's like a mix between stew, stew and soup because that's all papa cook is stew. We're having plantain stew today, bean stew, aki stew. What are we having? I know it's some kind of stew. So, you know, that's just, well, it's just bachelor food, man. All in one pot. I'm not trying to wash four or five pots. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is it. But. Yeah, that's really it. But soup, in terms of food, you know, the food is good. And I think, put it this way, you wouldn't eat a chicken boiled and just eat it. It doesn't have any flavor. You need the A1 sauce or the bar. So it's really the, the seasonings and the spices. That's the attraction. So you have these natural live spices that's on the food, and that's where the attraction lies. You know, so the fruits and everything is, you know, it's really live. You, you can attest. When you eat it, it's just nutritionally dense. So even like since evening, I had these two mangoes and I can tell you I'm good to go for a couple of hours. Mango really makes a man go. You know what I mean? So. The other one um, you have there is, um, what is it? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. It's super, super strong. And, um, people have the... It sounds almost like the thing that you have the gene for, and it tastes like soap. Um, what the hell's it called? Not celery, not coriander. Cilantro. Cilantro. Culantro. Do you grow culantro as well? Yeah, man, and a lot of them kind of grow in the bush as well. Now a lot of wild basil, um, rosemary. And these are things that just grow wild, you know, but they're super flavorful. Even in the hills, a lot of ginger. 
uh, the Hills Ginger, the Blue Ring Ginger, super famous, but I mean, it's potent. You know, it's probably one of the most potent ginger in the world, you know. But, you know, you have some of that in your, your food while you're cooking, man, it's wonderful. And then it provides, as I said, your food should be a medicine. So every meal that you're eating, just like a plant or your OHN should be in there, according to, <laughs> what's his name, Chris Chubb. Every time you're eating, you have something, so your ginger gives you anti-inflammatory, your turmeric. You know, so even if you're eating a burger, cut up some ginger on there, man, and you understand sometimes and put it in there, so at least in that setting, you know, you're helping yourself. And, you know, look at the combinations. Just like how you're in your feeding your plants. Some combinations don't work. They chillate each other. You understand it's not good for it. So some combination like the bread and the meat. It's better eat the vegetable and the meat together, you know, than the bread and the meat. The carbohydrates and the protein together in one setting is not very, you know, conducive for healthy sustainability. Now, what about pesticides? What are the traditional pest control methods out there? I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, uh, what it, what are the kind of the go-tos? That was something that kind of seemed to vary really more than anything else out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it varies a lot. And as I said, it goes back to what you have in your environment. So pepper is one of them that's kind of standard. Some people have some variety of pepper somewhere. But then now you have a different mixer. Some people use onions, the scallion, thyme, or what we say, thyme in Jamaica. And then we have different bushes that produces. I think Clackamas School kind of highlighted me to the one that we use, the lavender, the camphor lavender that I didn't know. But that is one of them that we use pretty much too as well. A lot of these bushes, um, chrysanthemum, you know, that apparently is where the pyrenthes come from, or the, what they call it, pyrenthes. Pyrinthians, whatever, that spray. But the chrysanthemum the, is a bush, a wild chrysanthemum. You know, so we're, and the neem, the neem tree is very popular here. Even I like the golf courses, the plant, the neem tree along the edges of the golf courses, it helps a lot with the gnats and the bugs. So, you know, the nice guys are playing on the court. They don't want to be bothered by flies and bugs. So even in our integrated permaculture, how we set up our lifestyle a lot of these trees and bushes are what you considered when putting in peppermint lemongrass a lot of these things are considered when planting because they give a lot of smell a lot of the hedges that we have so like in between what you would put you'd put some plants that give off some smell coffee bush rose bushes these bushes give off a nice smell night jasmine you know some of them have thorns on it. So when you grow them as your ground cover, because they have thorns and they stay low, then you won't have problem with slugs. The slugs can crawl over that. You know, so these are some of the things that we use and we keep them in our farms that assist us while growing. You know, um, a lot of cactus and cacti, the dogs and wild goats and the prickly bush, a lot of limes and lemon, these things will keep, naturally keep them out of the farm. Bob, I was actually watching uh, Potent's channel the other day. It was a repeat, I think, from speaking of this is a little bit like, uh, how can I shout out the most people? Uh, regenerative Cannabis, that I think is probably still in the chat. Uh, it was from his conference from a couple of years ago and Potent was shown on his channel. It was a, a talk with uh, Kevin Jodry. Great freaking talk, by the way. He talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, one of the things he was talking about, just happened to be for this uh, purpose right now, 
uh, was uh, Israel. And he said it was this, he spent a lot of time consulting there and growing. It was very interesting. He was talking about how uh, it's a completely bottle-fed synthetic culture because of the kosher rules. They were very interesting. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Uh, he said that the, the, the public cannabis consumption culture uh, was the most open that he's ever seen in, in the world, basically. He's never seen anywhere uh, be so open, like after lunch, after dinner, uh, he, he'd pop out a joint. People were, well, I guess other people were popping out joints. Waitresses would uh, smoke their own weed at the table with, uh, uh, with the people that had just, ate, uh, just eaten. Uh, it sounded like paradise, right? It sounded like, I, I hope it's true. I hope half of what he was saying was even remotely true. Uh, people a lot of times think Jamaica is going to be like that. Uh, is it going to be like, is, is it already in some places or is it ever going to be, or, or is it even a good thing that it would be the case? Well, it is like that in certain places and we give thanks for that. But truthfully, I wouldn't want it to be that way right across the island, you know, because mm. one, not everybody likes that lifestyle. You know what I mean? And smoke is, even my mother personally, no, my mother doesn't really like the smoke. She tolerates it. So I try to just smoke outside. I don't smoke in the house. Keep outside. So, you know, we kind of work it out. So it's kind of like that. You do have community, just like what you're saying, man. There's no construction site. There is no labor that happens in Jamaica without a ganja spliff in the mouth. None. No painting happens, no cement, no carpentry. And when I say no, obviously I'm speaking stereotypical, but if the workforce is 100 people, I would say guaranteed 70%. Let's even, say, let's even say small. Let me say 50%. Let me just be minimal. But at least 50%. No buildings that have been constructed in Jamaica don't be constructed without. You know, the guys working with a ganja spliff on them out. Maybe, maybe they get into trouble, but the embassy is already built. But not even the U.S. embassy that was built here. Yeah, man. Chalice of a smoke, man. Chalice of a light. This is a tradition. Yeah, yeah man. It's like energy, you know? It's like food. And some of these food. All right. These are poor people. You know, people that are economically challenged. So when you can smoke something and you feel like you're full your belly, I can give you sustenance, carry you through till you get home. It's a great thing. You understand? So, yeah, man, it's a, it's a working, the working people herb, you know? Oh, well put. All right, man. Well, I don't. I know it's a little bit later there. I don't want to hold you uh, all night if you need to run, man. Well, I still have maybe two two loads on the board, but anything goes. I'm surprised the internet kicked in this long. And <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to come on, man. Do you have any questions or anything that you want to ask the, anybody on the panel? Well, I mean, there's just two things that has been coming up from the recent discussions that I've been having with a lot of clients. And um, it's just maybe something people overlook. I kind of hinted at it in the EO show earlier, but the application of certain chemicals or whatever you're applying then, you really have to bear in mind what you're using to apply it. So like a fogger, Mister versus a sprayer, and why this one will be different, why this delivery style would be better. You know, these little things, you know, so I don't know if you'd want to highlight. So I find like 
the IMOs are things that are very live culture. There are certain parameters that you probably would not want to use. You know, certain fogging systems are, you know, how they micronize it, it'll blow it. You know what I mean? So there are certain like simple mistakes people are making and they're probably wondering why it's not working. So they have the right formula. They have this. But the spray thing that you're using to deliver, the delivery system is just like, you yeah, just messed up right here, you know. So I don't know if you probably want to just, you know, run through maybe some general parameters where that's concerned. And that's, you know, that's really, as I said, there's a few things, but I don't see it coming up, but I don't know for the viewers and so forth. That's probably a simple thing that you can adjust that would probably get you there, if you understand what I mean, you know. So I really like these ones, these rainmakers, uh, especially if you're not going totally crazy. They're they're pricey, but they're not going to break the bank. Um, and uh, these guys have this nice three-headed sprayer on them um, that gives you really good coverage, and it doesn't kill your microbes. Uh, these don't have an ultrasonic fogger or anything that's going to heat up the the, the liquid or you know kill the microbes. A lot of the foggers uh, actually kill the microbes. You don't want to use those for live microbe application, whereas the sprayers work a lot better. So this is, again, this is something you can get at pretty much any um, uh, thing. Again, I don't really like Hawthorne, but you can find something that's equivalent to this type of thing. But you just want something that's kind of a lower pressure, um, you know, ideally three nozzle uh, sprayer or, or more. Um, Do you know the numbers? Do you know the numbers? Like, for example, you don't want a pressure over 125 HP or you don't want, you understand what I'm trying to say? Dutch, Dutch Blooms, if he's still watching, uh, he would know the answer to this question. Okay. I know the exact off the top of my but head. Just bear in mind, people, that there are some freaking parameters. Get to know them. And that's really what I'm saying. Educate it. And it's going to be fairly different, you know, depending where you are. I really don't use a lot of those kind of stuff. So I use a more hose, high pressure hose. So I don't really have screens and you know, I have chunks of shit flying out of my stuff more time, you know what I mean? So, so it's kind of like that. But um, if you're going on that size, especially to your drip emitters and all these things, you might find yourself in more problem than solution. Not, not only that, but taking the time and investing in one of those battery-powered sprayers, it cuts your time down. I know that, that uh, I know in a lot of places, uh, especially the last one we were at, we had two guys and they were able to do a pretty sizable farm in about half a day to a day, you know, three quarters of a day, depending on what it was that they were applying. But, you know, they could get through a considerable square footage of, of cannabis at a very good application rate with those triple headed sprayers, you know. So definitely something that um, just saves you a lot of time. You can get stuff done a lot faster and move on to other stuff that's, you know, requires more attention. I like the backpack sprayers, honestly. I mean, I haven't found, it's not that I love them, but it's just I haven't found anything that's, you know, in terms of efficiency. And I can, I just say, you have 50 acres to get to. I'm not trying to take one week to spray 50 acres. And I need to wrap it up within a day, day and a half at most. So, you know. But as I said, those, those things are developing and are coming along real nice, but don't really go too micronized. And I think the speed, the pressure is also something that you really have to be considered. I think just enough to blow over the plant, not really move it. But, you know, that is just what you need. You really don't need that high efficiency, you know. If you're dealing with trees now where you have to go like 20, 30 foot in the air. As I said, the only thing I try to think about is when the liquid hits the tree, 
at what speed they want it to hit the, the plant. That is really what you So it's not really what speed it leaves it. It's more what speed it hits the tree at or hits the surface. You know, that's where you kind of want to mitigate and be as soft as possible. Like you're not trying to blast it. And as I depending, if you're using live stuff, no problem. If you're using like just soap water like myself, most of the times, then it's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? But like when you're doing your lactose sprays and your IMOs and things like that now, yeah, I try to be a bit more conscious of how I do it. One of the other things I noticed in Jamaica growing down there was there isn't a whole lot of mold issues. There's not a lot of leaf mold issues. There's not a lot of root mold issues. You don't have a lot of fungal problems really in general. And, you know, is that because of the higher salt or is that just the microbes there? You guys have just done a really good job of, you know. Well, I find that you say, especially because we do a lot of slash and burn and the typical starting, you know, you burn out of here that kind of really, you know, gets rid of mold pretty quick, if you understand what I mean. And then, and I find it coming in a lot with the, the influx of genetics, but the mold, it's mostly like botrytis. If it, and that can be understood. You know, these tighter buds that are growing in these super humid environments, you have to figure it out, you have to take it to the hills where they have a lot of airflow, and then you'll get better production, I take it, you know? So in terms of mold, that's the way I would see it coming in. Just not understood, just fitting the right plant into the right area is really where it is. But the septoria, definitely. And I say once we incorporate the lactose, especially when you know the rain is coming on, you can really put some preventative sprays on it. But as I say, getting it into the field, getting it into your growing media earlier is the best thing you could ever do. You know, don't be afraid to literally dig trenches if you dig trenches or if you dig your holes and you pack it with the compost. Don't be afraid to just spray it in there. Like that's what I do. When I dig the holes, I have my guys go through and spray it out with the lactobacillus and then we fill it with, you know, the worm castings and then we spray it again with the lacto and then, you know, maybe three weeks after, four weeks, depending, we transplant. But it gives you a nice time for the mycelium, everything to kind of get activated and, you know, most of the work is done for you already, you know. Um, so what about, uh, um, uh, hold on, let's see if there's anything else here from chat. If anybody has any other questions um, in chat, please feel free to, to ask them now. Um, is there anything that you want to plug or mention uh, while we got you on? Well, you know, just give thanks for the moment, you know, really and truly appreciate it. You know, everyone's listening. Learn as much as you can. I'll never stop educating yourself. There's no limit, you know. And, um, you know, give thanks. I say, is his majesty and empress men in the perfect balance? I really like balance and moving towards it. So, yeah, that's really it, man. You know, anything, anything I can be of assistance anytime. If you think that it's valuable or knowledgeable, I can be, you know, reach out to Steve. He knows how to get to me. Fumador, likewise, you know. Yeah, man, anytime, man. Great ones in the industry doing it, you know. Do you want to give everybody a quick Patois lesson, so, some useful Patois for when they go down there, like uh, like top of the eyes? That's, in the, that's a good one to teach them. And uh, what, else, what are some of the good ones? Well, it changes so rapidly in Jamaica, man. I swear it's like the, the lingo gets, you know, even my son has to be telling me the new stuff. I'm like, yo, I only left for like two months. What you mean you got no slang already, you know? But Wagwan, 
is a pretty easy one. It's kind of like saying what's going on and just squeezing it all up in one. Wagwan. So what's going on? Just say wagwan. So that's really it. What's going on? You know. So that's a pretty easy one for you to get in. You know. But when you get here, man, I just say just be open. You know, it's a great experience. You know what I mean? And don't be afraid to get out of the city. The rural parts and the countryside, you can really get. It's like groundation. You know, I really recommend you go to the hills and really get submerged, especially if you're coming from that city. It really does good for your electrical connectivity. You know, your fluctuation in your body really does good to get grounded. I find that Jamaica is a very good. I don't want to get too science, but you know, the polarity, it has a really good grounding effect, especially if you are not used to it. You'll be just wondering why you feel so peaceful or feel so not wanting to do anything. You, some people think that you come here and like you lose your motivation, but it's just that things that used to seem important is not, you know what I mean? You kind of get a little different reality check sometimes. So, yeah, man. I, I guess on that note, can you explain what island time is? What, what is that? As I said, we have thyme, we have scallion, we have pepper. So thyme is a very good um, spice that we use that's in our food. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't know any other one except maybe like the moon time, lunar time, but island time yeah, is crazy. In Jamaica, everything's an island time. Everything's half an hour to an hour behind. You never know when that is. That's what I'm saying. I can't even tell it's island time because they're compounding factors. You know, so uh, you have island time that's delayed. Now, if you're island time and dealing with a rasta, then you're going to be probably more delayed because it's a lot of conversation you're going to have to have now. And then if it's a rasta that smokes, God, no. So, you know, there are compounding factors that could add interest onto this island time thing here. You know what I mean? So, and God forsake, something should happen on the road or... Rain should fall. I mean, this is how it is. It's as simple as thing like rain is falling. Oh, sorry, boss. No more work for today. What could you mean? Is that one of those things, Bob? Uh, like, there's I don't know. There's a few places in the world where uh, you can actually specify, like, okay, is this like is this local time or is this Western time? You know, whatever, whatever, whatever you better that's, do it. American time, whatever. So it'd be like, all right, is that like on the dot? Like when we say, no, like, you need to state it. eight, or does that mean like nine thirty? No. You is need to state it. It you would be wise to state it. When you say, so, okay, Bob, I need you to meet me at nine o'clock, my time. You'd be very specific. You just point at yourself and say, my time. And they kind of get the picture. You know what I mean? Um, and then also, uh, a lot of people don't know that um, the same bill that legalized uh, cannabis in Jamaica also legalized mushrooms, um, which yeah, a lot there. of people are aware of. Um, so definitely something else that you can legally partake in while you're down there if you so choose there's been a lot of ceremonies actually and a lot of retreats you know i have a, some partner with, they just did one maybe two days ago so we have some shamans that come in and different people for different retreats so at any time if you're interested you know we're, they're, they're ongoing really and truly really ongoing and some of them are very specific so if you have like you know trauma issues or so you know you have very different ones for different things but I mean, I really, I mean, I like it personally. I like where it's going, whether you call it alternative medicine or whatever. But there has been no reports of any negative effects so far. I can really proudly say that emphasis on the so far, maybe something will happen. I'm not sure, but 
so far there has been no, you know, no hospital, no people showing up in the hospital, paranoid or, you know, it's been really great. So I've been, I, I, I like how it's progressed. Why I'm saying that the authorities did not try to take this on their hands. They really kind of left it open and who knew about it and knew how to do it really did a good job of putting themselves forward because mushrooms is something that the Jamaican, put it this way, ganja is something that is respectable here. However, because of the trade value, it has been tampered with, if you understand. You know what I mean? The, the, the indigenous value has been tampered with. So cool. We admit it that there's a monetary value to it and people go to make money and hustle and all right, good. With the mushrooms, it was not allowed. It was really always among that shamanic societal kind of vibration. Like it wasn't recreational drugs for us. I mean, Americans would come here and Europeans and all, you know, would come here and partake recreationally. However, traditionally, Jamaicans have mushrooms as a medicinal thing. So that was always a precedence here. And that precedence was allowed to farm structure and be one of the first sets to come forward. So I was really kind of, you know, really happy where that was concerned. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, oh, dispensaries and this is what we looks like, a picture of Bob Marley over here. And, you know, the whole marketing aspect, it was really educate yourself and what are you going through. And after you leave this experience, this is what you probably should incorporate into your life and, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, man, good vibration. So it will open up a lot of ones that could, what you'd say now, hone in on their growing skills and their cultivation skills. And that's why people were surprised how rapidly it developed here in Jamaica. It's like, wow, you guys just start growing mushrooms two years. I'm like, nah, people have been doing this for a very long time, you know? But it was not as commercialized as the ganja. So it was really the ones that loved it really were the ones that maintained that culture. So I tell you, man, we have some small ones here. I tried to show Raptor and some guys, some just to identify, but it's some kind of blue Liberty key. I don't remember what they told me, but as I tell you, man, these things are... I got a good friend now. Put you in touch yeah. with the hot, you know what I mean? Like they're really hot and they raise your temperature fast. You know what I mean? And like the middle of the day, you're seeing pastel colors and all kind of thing, man. They're really... You know, potent as you would say, yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Anytime, my brother. Give thanks for the moment, man. Give thanks for life. You know, and give thanks for what life has taught us and the ability to share. So that's the far right. I wanted to uh quickly mention my uh my class here. Um, yeah man, give me some smoking time, I'll mute myself. <laughs> Um, Marty and I teach a, a long format class over APMJclass.com. Uh, we're constantly adding new content. We actually uh, filmed a bunch of new stuff. We have a lot of new content that we got to finish editing and, and start to get uh, trickled up. But we have a bunch of stuff from before we're still trickling out as well. So again, we always have constantly new, new content. We have um, uh, disease guides, all types of how-tos, build-outs. Um, as soon as uh, Marty's no longer on our fire ban, we'll continue the... Uh, the how to build a greenhouse from a mill, uh, a wood mill all the way through finished construction. Um, but right now uh, we had to stop filming that because he currently is under a total fire ban, which uh, we were talking about a little bit before the show. Um, uh, there's a huge fire going on in Oregon right now. It's like three or 400,000 acres. 
um, and um, they just don't need any additional fires right now. So um, that kind of put a halt to one of the cooler things that we were in, he was in the process of filming, but um, we're going to be uh, doing a bunch of other cool stuff too. Uh, once I get moved here later in the month, um, I'll have my microscopes and everything else unpacked again, and we can start doing a lot more microscope work again. And a bunch of other cool stuff that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get back into the swing of. We have a KNF series, and a, I'm doing a whole um, uh, bioaccumulator video series and a bunch of other cool stuff that I'm working on. So um, uh, that'll be some of that'll be YouTube, some of it'll be for the class. So definitely something else to check out. Um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, other than that, um, I don't even know the next event that we're doing. Do you know the next event we're doing? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. We have a Oklahoma thing in September. Yeah, in September. Yep. So I'll be at that one. I'll be at Lucky Leaf uh, at the Oklahoma City and at the Houston show. Uh, and then we have the uh, second annual uh, virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Um, uh, we, I've worked really hard at getting a lot of cool guests. We have a couple of more guests that we've gotten signed up recently, but we actually are going to have three full panels. Last year we had kind of a, a home grower panel and a commercial panel. This year we're going to have a craft grower panel, kind of an in-between uh, smaller, you know, smaller commercial panel, and then a, um, a full, uh, a home, I'm sorry, we're going to have a commercial panel, uh, a craft grower, uh, uh, you know, a single home kind of thing. Uh, whereas a small business and then also just, uh, you know, people growing four six or, or 12 plants kind of stuff. So we'll have three separate panels to, depending on the size of the grows and what you're doing and kind of different skill levels and different different levels of stuff for, for that. So really cool to have that. We have people from all over the planet, uh, South Africa, Bangladesh, Thailand, um, Canada, the United States, um, um, Colombia that are going to be all doing talks on uh, aquaponics and aquaponics science. Uh, and, and cannabis uh, related topics to, to that. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. We have um, uh, 14 different slots so far booked up. So uh, we might have to add a third day depending on uh, how many additional speakers are SVP. So uh, we're, we're super stoked at, at how the this has come together and, and I'm really excited about some of the talks. I mean, we have- uh, I'm gonna say again, Steve, and I've said it on several places and I, you know, behind your back or in front of your back. I mean, the, the quality information that you provide, I can say 100%. Solid, solid fucking information, brother. Solid. You know, like, you know, like, I don't think people have taken advantage. You know, I don't even know if you're charging for the shit or not. I don't know, but I don't know if you're, you know, but whatever. But it's worth it, whatever it is, and it's the quality you're putting it out. I'm just saying, on a whole, you know, whatever you have sifted out, these phenotypes of people that you have sifted out, these cultivars that you have brought together to present these, it's quality stuff. You understand what I mean? So don't underestimate it 100% and not stroking the ego or anything. It's more keep the fire burning in terms of pushing forward. And I guess on a side note, I can see why you have secured your places in many third world countries because you're going to need some fucking options to run to if all this natural shit takes over, man. You're going to have some people checking at your door. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, so the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference, just like last year, we're going to make it free again um, for, for everybody. So uh, we'll have it live and then I'll break everything oh, in virtual talks so that everyone can, can see that. So the idea is to try to push it forward. Uh, uh, Marty and I started this podcast originally because people said that you couldn't grow 
aquaponic cannabis and it wouldn't finish off and and marty and i both basically snapped back at this dude and jumped down his throat posting a bunch of nugs uh, that were super fat and basically like dude you have no idea what you're talking about you still know how to do it right and, and this guy got all mad and then marty and i started debating on the ways to do it and then we kind of realized that we were the only two people that like could have such a high level debate on this topic and then we became good friends and started the podcast because we wanted to kind of like forcefully show people that you could do this and then that's kind of the same spirit that the conference is based around is hey you know what aquaponic cannabis people say you can't do it we have a whole conference that's businesses and producers and scientists and people that that can talk about the science or talk about the commercial application or from real commercial experience that are keep paying the bills currently because of you know how well it works right so that we've come a long way from debating people to throwing a conference where we can host literally two days of mostly commercial producers uh, you know, so we really have made an impact over the over the years by just getting education out and showing people it can be done. So that's kind of the same spirit that we're trying to do with the conference and uh, and kind of why we're continuing to do it. Uh, the only thing that you just reminded me, you remember like the all the outdoor aquaponics style, the natural, all them guys go in the Black River and the swamp. Yeah, 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 uh, down the Black River. All right, you have a few places across the island that happens. The St. Thomas, you have a few places that are similar, you know what I mean? Another, uh, but but since that, that's the famous one that um, Arian and all made famous, so I'll stick I've, with. I've seen him do it up on the Martha Bray, too, up, up by yeah, Fountain, that area. Yeah. But suppose I tell you this, I didn't really like it a lot. I mean, I used to support the guys just because what they were doing and the price was good. But I can tell you this, that's the only place my Thailand genetics performed well. That system was the only freaking place that those genetics, bro. <laughs> I don't even know if Thailand, they performed that well. I swear to you. They loved it. So, you know what I mean? That's really my hunt, kind of figuring out the gene, figuring out and then fit them in the environment, you know? And that's the great thing about the aquaponic and the greenhouse and the hybrid system. You can create all these things and really knock it out of the park, you know. And the information is there. So really give thanks, man. King Celestia, Empress Men in that perfect balance. I really appreciate it, you know. Yeah, man. I appreciate the love, man, for sure. And uh, definitely love to help teach everybody. It's something that I definitely want to eventually get back to. And I'd love to get a group of people together. And Chris Trump and I have talked about this before, um, uh, getting a group of people uh, together and trying to go through places like Africa and do a tour around and then just teach the farmers, find a way to pay for it. Ignore going to the big cities because that's not where the farmers are. They got to pay to get there and it's a pain in the ass. Go out to the main farming areas, set up a, a big seminar and teach it for free. Find a way to fund it somehow through some way uh, and just get direct access to these guys because going out there and teaching a lot of these uh, Korean natural farming <laughs> converting those into local languages will, will change so much because people in Zimbabwe who make a buck 50 or two bucks a day or less or, or eight bucks a day or whatever it is that they're making out, you know, in the middle of nowhere uh, in a lot of these places or even less can afford rice and sugar and milk or they have access to those things through other means uh, or trade or whatever else. They can afford to use those stuff to make pest control or to make fertilizer or to fix the, the fungal infections with labs. That's completely within the realm of their both um, uh, the level of technology that they have access to in terms of equipment, 
but also access to the inputs that you need to create that. And they don't need some NGO or some chemical company or somebody to come, you know, hand them anything. They can, and not only that, a lot of these places, and I've saw this firsthand in Africa, have really fucked up soils that were directly caused by NGOs and other people that had good intentions, but they they were you know bought and paid for or given huge discounts by companies like Monsanto or others to try and get market entry into these regions, and then basically just chemically polluted the shit out of the soil. So they have lots of nutrients in them, especially in, in Zimbabwe where you had the tobacco industry for years. I mean, you see this with the high manganese levels because it's something they, they, you know, slam on, on, on um, tobacco. Um, that uh, if you come in there with a heavy microbial inoculant, it unlocks all of that nutrients that's already, they don't need to buy fertilizer for years. It might be five, 10 years before they need to buy a single thing to balance anything. They just got to put the microbes on it because everything's there already. They paid for that years ago. Right. So this is the stuff where you know, this would do so much to heal the world if we can help find people that are in different regions that are into this kind of stuff and translate stuff and work with people that are interested in that. And then eventually try to find like a way to do like a global tour uh, a couple of times a year or whatever and get together a couple of experts and to just go through these areas with translators and just get it out there because we you could change the lives of millions of people in a real short period of time. That, and, and not only that, but in a way that they can afford to do on their own farms. It's, this is different than, than trying to get them hooked on some kind of fertilizer or some of their bullshit. This gives them the ability to fix their, their property. Yeah, man, it's sustainable. And when I say sustainable, my children, my children's children can work this piece of land or work the system and provide for yourself. And that is what the system or the shit system, as the Rasta man say, has taken away. The perfect example you gave. Right now, we have a prime piece of property in Jamaica. And this, when I was in school in the 90s, this was the most fertile basin in the Caribbean. And what they did over the years, agriculture, came in, as you said, a lot of salts, a lot of salts. Right now, they're marketing for housing development because apparently the land is not good again. And I, I mean, this was the most fertile basin in the entire Caribbean, not even in Jamaica. And now it's just going to be houses that's over near Portmore side, going to come in over. So, I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's a system that is just replicating. So, until, you know, we the people wake up and apply the wisdom. So, put it this way your, aunt, your grandparents have been farming one piece of land for many years, over and over, and they didn't have to change. So why is it that now we can only farm this land for two years out and then we have to leave it and go on to somewhere else? You know, so the practices that we have adapted, and this is cute to every civilization, mismanagement of agricultural practices is really one of the biggest leads to declines. And this is all of them, Maya, Azteca, every blood clot body. You know, so why, you know, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. What you're doing, what I see Chris Trump doing, you know, there's a few other ones, I can't remember the names, but there's some guy, a couple of guys from India, I can tell you, they have a, some terrible guys from India that are really cranking it, you know. Even the same Israeli, I don't, I'm not super sympathetic to how they have conquered the globe with it, but I mean, even then, you really do have the technology coming out and being available. So what I'm just saying is that it really has to get there on a level that, one, the consumer is educated enough to want something different, but 
put it this way if what we're providing is that then they'll be quite happy with it you know because a lot of people don't know as i said a nice tasting fish or a nice tasting fruit until they really taste it or a nice jar herb yeah wow uh, you know so yeah man uh, give thanks man it might just be americans that have only had american mangoes what is the balance too and then how it is marketed across the world now you find that people here don't even want this he's like no i want this it has to come from i'm like come on man relax you know the avocado and you know this kind of apple is not you know nutritionally dense it came from oh this is american apple so as i said i don't have a problem but <clears throat> the notoriety and some things that we are applying i like to see where the the, the generation is going so ones like yourself you know that are doing the works and putting it out there we just really give thanks that put it this way i completely understand that we can't go salt i mean completely organic right away but i think we can just take more steps to be better stewards of you know how i've taken care and we can set up a future generation you know what i mean so you know, let's give thanks all right, man. Well, I don't want to keep you all night. It's also been a, a really good long episode with uh, lots of cool information. I know I certainly learned a lot. So thanks a lot for coming on, man. Uh, it's an episode I've kind of wanted to do for a little while and uh, it all worked out together tonight. So thanks a lot for coming, man. Anytime, my brother. Anytime. Give time. And uh, I definitely have to come see you uh, on the island. Uh, I plan on trying to get down there at some point this year. So. Yeah, well, my, my, I said, we can do always do a nice conference at, you know, a decent location. And I think we can kind of get some sponsors, some people to, you know, get some buses in and just keep it kind of nonchalant. So I know you guys want a good vacation, get to, get away from the cold so we can make it a January, February or something like that. But whatever, whatever it is, December, you know, a couple oh. people in, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, but good. I like the hands-on approach that you're talking. I really like it. And it's because of how practical you are, you know exactly what you need. So like how you transform in the hog pen, not because I'm a rasta and I don't want to get rid of the poor. But I like the transformation of the old pig pens into the aquaponic style. Yeah, man. Even oh, though it's still flesh, but it's a better flesh than the pig, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Way better flesh and way cleaner, right? And much more sustainable, you know? The... We don't use that much water if you're re-catching everything and just pumping it back to the plants, you know. Well, put it this way, and obviously you do it smart enough that you have river systems, you have people that are close to rivers, so those are the ones you'd incorporate first, and then you let it spread. So it can be done logically. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that the thought process doesn't go into it. Because you know the end result and you work your way backwards. You need a sustainable and a regenerative system. You don't want us to fall back into the sea and chop that we did before. You know what I mean? We had a, I know when we were in, in a, well, never mind. Different story for a different time. But uh, yeah, I know, we could go on for hours, you know? I would definitely say that uh, a quick good story before we leave on Jamaica. Um, we, we had our car breakdown on the back way coming from St. Mary back to... Uh, to Kingston, which is a, a bit of a dicey road, taking the back way up on the hillside there. It's real windy. Come on, the junction, the junction road. Yeah, so we had our car break down there, and we were in the middle of nowhere up there. So, And then we, about 30 minutes later, two guys appear out of nowhere and try to help us fix the car for about 45 minutes. And then we realize that we need a part. 
So they, they realize that we're pretty much not going anywhere. So they invite us back to their house, cook us dinner, serve us beers, smoke us out, give us a place, kick one of their kids out of their bedroom. So we have a place to sleep for the night, drive us to town, buy the parts, come back, help us fix the car. And then, and also made sure the car didn't get stuck, you know, nothing happened to the car overnight. And it was just like, that would never happen in the States, right? There's no place in the United States just about where that would ever happen in a million years. But it's the kind of kindness that you see, especially once you get away from like right up against where the tourist area is, just get out of Mobe and a couple of the other areas. And you'll honestly meet some of the kindest people on the entire planet in Jamaica. Um, you know, I, a lot of people hear about, you know, the old days of Kingston when it used to be a little worse than it is now. Uh, and some of the other things that, yeah, I mean, there are bad neighborhoods, but it's, so is Chicago, so is yeah. LA, so is like everywhere else, right? It's not really any different than that. If you go looking for trouble, you're gonna find trouble, right? Um, but if you're, you know, halfway smart about anything, you're you're gonna not find too much trouble. Um, yeah, also, man. the government cracks down pretty hard if they screw with foreigners uh, uh, with a hammer, uh, a big one. So yeah, you don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen what they do. <laughs> no, no, and it's not nice. They do hard. They go hard, like property yeah. and person. They don't. They don't care. Everything goes. <laughs> oh, if they think you, there was this. Anyways, different yeah, story. Well, uh, um, the, the 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 what you said was kind of that is how we grew up traditionally. You have a guest come over, your parents will tell you go sleep in the room, or we are sleep in one bed, and we give the guest to our room. You know, it's not a problem. That is just a tradition, and we give them the food and. You know, that is what they do. So even my children, I really encourage that. You may give somebody, give them the best. You know, so you have two mangoes, you give them the best. You know, so it's like that, man. And I'm really glad that you got to experience it because it, it does exist. It is there, man. 100%. Yeah. The other thing that threw me off, uh, I guess, in a different way, was the, the live boxing at the Agricultural Expo. I was not ready for that. <laughs> They love that, the boxing down there, man. Any excuse to put a boxing ring up, man, they are down, especially in St. Mary. Yeah, man, anywhere, man. Dancing, boxing. There's competition on our whole. Running, fucking, yo. Any competition, it's hard. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. Why don't you tell everybody how to find you? I put a link to your Instagram here in the chat. Uh, yeah, I do have an Instagram. It's strange, and as I said, I start, I do have a good Instagram. It's actually J.A. Bob on the job, but I lost it. I can't get it. So I just created this one to kind of. Well, anyway, Jim Cooley Bob at Instagram, yeah. So I just have to keep this one for now. Let's put it that way, you know. I can't lose this one. <laughs> but give thanks for the moment and I said if you think I can be helpful in any way you know reach out shoot an email or a message I you know if it's something important I know Steve has hit me up sometime and some people with some project you know anything at all even for me anybody can get to it that you see me associated I'm super open I really even though I'm anti-socially social kind of person but you know yeah I'm reachable man but give thanks again and I said I can't Say enough that the platform, good quality information, just Steve, really good quality information. And the movement on a whole, 100%. You know what I mean? Give thanks. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mian. Uh, Fumi, do you want to tell everybody how to find you and, uh, and your stuff? If I can remember, I'm apparently mega stoned today. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, this Saturday, uh, first uh, in-person sesh for ages with the Portland Cannabis Tasting Society. That's my little group that uh, 
we meet uh, in person and have a, a good time kind of puffing different herb. Uh, it's uh, this Saturday at uh, Khalifa Social Club in Oregon City, a little bit south of Portland. Uh, Going to be a fun time, 7 to 10 uh, in the evening. Look up my page, uh, Portland Cannabis Tasting Society or uh, Chronic Table or Fumador underscore Chibador. Uh, any of those, basically the, the page is right there. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. There it is right there. Uh, they have a membership. It's like a lifetime membership. A lot of those clubs will have like, like a life, lifetime membership of like 20, 25 bucks. There's just 25 bucks. And so basically the first time you visit, it's going to cost 25 bucks. Uh, I'm going to pay the same 25 bucks, just like everybody. Uh, it's cool because, uh, you know, once you have that, you'll be able to go there, you know, in the future, I think pay five bucks a time or something. Anyway, it's going to be a fun time. Bring some flour, bring some hash, bring something, uh, you know, bring enough to share. You don't have to bring all those, like bring, bring something you'd like to share and, uh, uh, enjoy all the samples. We're gonna have probably a lot of weed and some edibles and whatever else. And yeah, it's a fun time. And that's my page right there. Some of my testers. Those are, oh my God, those are fucking aphids. We're not gonna say that. Thankfully, that's not my garden. Don't, don't assume folks that that's my garden, but Unfortunately, wouldn't you know it, I basically brought all of my photo gear into that garden before I realized that there were bugs there. And I was like, wait a second, are those what I think they are? And I, I actually DM'd or I uh, texted Poten. I was like, is this what I think it is? Do I have to basically burn everything? He was like, yeah, pretty much. It's true. Pretty much. It was pretty awful. There was uh, aphids and thrips and spider mites and I don't know, probably like nuclear space aliens that I don't even know about. So what's the protocol for sanitizing your photo equipment? Do you like oh stick it in the microwave or something? It was like a day of work. Uh, lots and lots. Some of the stuff that is like sealed and basically is made of metal or plastic or whatever else was able to just be sanitized carefully. Uh, Potent was very uh, specific, said, uh, don't bring anything in. It's not in a plastic bag. So he was right to actually remind me because in that moment, you're like, it's like three o'clock in the fucking morning because I was taking the photos until way late in the, in the night. Uh, and you can't leave the shit in the car, right? You know what I mean? Like, so uh, you got to do something about it. So basically black plastic bags, I doubled bag that shit just in case and put it away until the morning. And then as you're sterilizing stuff, leave it in the fucking bag, basically. Uh, anything that is not lens, camera, battery, glass, blah, 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 blah. I actually basically wrapped up and left in my car to just literally heat sterilize. Because it was yeah. about, uh, yeah. yeah, I checked yeah. with the heat gun, about 140 <laughs> degrees. I left that shit some of it. I left there for three fucking days just in case. And wouldn't you fucking know it? Like, wouldn't you know it? I actually found dead bugs on the tops, like on my camera yeah, bags. Yeah. Like yeah, something yeah. would have survived if I had brought Sneaky it in. Sneaky motherfuckers, man. The other thing you could do is just Ziploc everything and you could put it in the freezer. That'd be the other option. Yeah, probably that. What I've seen, what I've seen the big guy, well, not the big guy, but the guys that I do the camera team with, they put their stuff in the bags, but they have, I don't know if it's awesome, but they have like a gas. So yeah. they put like all the parts and then they kind of just full it and as you say leave it in the vehicle i think it's like six hours to 12 but whatever time was usually overnight you could get one of those um those like shop back bags like you used to put your sweaters in exactly your yeah yeah, that, yeah. And then what you do is you get a tank of co2 and you just mm -hmm. flush that shit with co2 because that'll kill them you could you know you could do the old dry ice method with boiling dry ice um that would also work just don't splash your equipment obviously but you could do that.
that in a trash bag, contractor bag, the same way with clones. We've talked about that plenty of times on the show. Yeah. Yeah, so well, would the CO two kill the eggs though? Because there was an abundance of eggs in the in the kind of mix. No, nothing for the eggs, but it'll kill any adult. But I mean, if yeah, they're like I was, I was, I mean, Jesus, elbow deep in 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 plants basically before I realized what was going on. So, yeah, I would. Uh, I would also though, if you're gonna go to a lot of grows, I would just ziplock everything ahead of time. And then only open what what it is because you could just then alcohol spray all your bags and be done, you know. That's one of those lessons that I basically just learned. Yeah, absolutely, man. Because I set up like you know I was short on time and this and that and blah blah blah. And I set up everything so that I'd be like super efficient, you know, ready to go. And it's not great. I have a phone uh, water watertight cases on my phone and on my. My, I have a tablet that I'll use if I need to do a bunch of computer work in a grow or log stuff or whatever. I have a tablet, but I can just take that, spray it with rubbing alcohol, wipe it down, and then immediately go into another room and not have to worry about anything being not decontaminated. And and that's something that, I, you know, if you don't have it and you go to more than one grow on a regular basis, just get a watertight shell for your phone and then just spray it with alcohol. And it just makes your life easy and fast. I can just be like, psh, 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 wipe, 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 done, you know, and, and it's good or spray it with whatever cleaning solution that they happen to like at whatever facility you're at so all right well you can find me at uh, uh potent ponics soundcloud itunes spotify uh, all the things uh, i think we're actually getting close to a million i think have we hit it yet we were getting really close to a million total channel views that's crazy uh wow. hold on a second we may or may not have hit it yet uh one second i have to find the right button what are we up to then again our buddy ozzy has a, a his kangaroo video has 4.5 million views now almost there but uh but yeah so getting stoked about that that's another big milestone we broke 10,000 subscribers this uh not even that long ago i feel like that was just a couple episodes ago we've already 500 more so uh, way to represent uh um, big thank you to the community for supporting us for all these years and then um, also just working on some more content i'm really debating on firing up a patreon and doing some kind of uh, a little more regular video content especially once i get moved and i'll have the studio and everything kind of set up and the, the office space a little more permanently set up than me and uh, uh, I won't be in nomad mode so much uh, uh, anymore. Um, so that'll be good. And I can, you know, produce content a lot more easily and, and uh, more regularly. So I think it might might move into that as well. And then kind of just release a lot of this stuff ahead of time there. Um, and then eventually out on the YouTube later on. Um, and then uh, just working on some other cool stuff for the class. We have a lot of cool new content for the cannabis class coming up for the rest of the year that Marty and I have put together. And then also working on some uh, other aquaponic classes. We're working on just a six plant class um, that's gonna be cheaper just for people that are just trying to do a home grow that don't really wanna know about all the 10,000 commercial things and all the fancy stuff and all that. If you're just trying to grow a couple of plants, we're gonna have a shorter kind of condensed class for that sometime, hopefully before Christmas we're trying. Uh, I have some, uh, my book I'm trying to finish off uh, as well as another another side book that I got pulled into, uh, which I'm super stoked on. That I'm sure there'll be some more announcements later in the year on. Um, and then uh, just working on some some other cool projects. We have uh, some big announcements that'll be coming out in August once we get the uh, everything fired up. 
with with that project, which is, is about to come to fruition. We have a, some some really cool trips coming up um, in the fall uh, back to Africa. So that'll be fun at some point, um, November, December, something like that. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then also, um, uh, what else is coming up? Oh, um, I'll be uh, off to uh, uh, a super cool grow. Um, I've been helping build a, a really neat grow uh, out in Georgia. And uh, we had our state inspection this week and the state inspector said it was the single nicest grow he's seen so far in the entire state. So uh, I was super over the moon to hear that uh, from the inspector there. So uh, super cool that uh, everything's kind of slowly progressing out there on the CBD side for now, but eventually uh, into the THC side. So um, really excited to go back there. We'll be doing some more filming and, uh, and helping them out uh, later this month. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, we'll have some content up on that and uh, hopefully an interview with the farm owner now that we have things a little bit more finished off and a little bit more photo ready uh, than they were last time I was out there. We were still kind of finishing up construction and stuff like that. So uh, we actually have plants now and, and everything. So there's stuff to show you guys other than just a bunch of empty rooms that aren't that interesting. Um, so. <laughs> um, Unless you're a fan of empty rooms, maybe you're an architect or something. Um, well, the I mean, this place is super cool. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the nicer facilities that I have the pleasure of, of helping out with and uh, really top of the line aquaculture side and then uh, uh, a super neat multi-stage um, filtration room and whole building for it. And then uh, uh, moving into um, a, uh, a giant set of uh, greenhouses that go down the hill and, uh, and then feed back up to the top. So it's really, really cool. It's up in Raven County, which is traditionally, you know, the the place to grow in, uh, in uh, in uh, Georgia, uh, if you're going to grow out there. So uh, there's a rich tradition of, of cultivars that are unique to the area. So we're really looking forward to uh, getting involved in some of those as soon as they're THC la uh, uh, allowed out there, which hopefully before the end of the year, we'll see. But uh, we definitely are, are working on that and then uh, helping them with some other projects that they haven't um, announced publicly yet. Um, and then uh, what else? So yeah, there's some other cool trips that'll be coming up at some point over the winter as well. Um, there's some other cool places, um, some of the bigger projects that are coming along, but you know, just a, a lot of a lot of new projects coming online, all these new states coming online uh, has really kind of created another little mini boom in the in the green industry. So I uh, can't complain. And then, uh, yeah, other than that, just trying to help the people in Oklahoma. This seems to be a ridiculous year for bugs and fungi all around. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for anything. And then especially if you're getting attacked by those cucumber beetles, remember we have not fully documented all the diseases that they vector yet. So if you're seeing leaf hoppers, white flies or beetles on your plants, please, please, please take photos of the beetle and any weird gross patterns, mosaic patterns, any fungal patterning, uh, anything that looks weird, learn and document, hey, wh what is this disease associated with? That's why when I showed you guys the beetle picture earlier today, I showed you that weird fungal, the, the chlorosis that's happening. And, and, and in the other episode, I showed you guys that other weird patterning that we're seeing as a secondary infection from the cucumber beetles. Please, please, please document that, put it on Instagram tag it uh, for other people to figure out, you know, even if you don't know what the insect is, 
um, just put it out there and, and it helps us try to suss this out because we're seeing a lot of new production, a lot of new states and a lot of new diseases that we haven't documented yet. And we, and we haven't documented it in cannabis. Maybe it's been heavily documented in other crops, but we haven't documented the fact that it can be, you know, jumping to cannabis. So uh, we see this with the leaf, with the leaf, um, the beet leaf tarp, uh, curl virus uh, and, uh, and stuff like that. And some of the other diseases that you see, um, uh, jumping over uh, uh, hop latent viroid is another one that hop, hopped over from hops. So uh, we need to you know, kind of document some of these newer diseases. I know in, in Oklahoma, we're seeing a whole bunch of weird stuff uh, every year. Something's different, right? So, and it's going to be that way for all these newer states for a couple, you know, 10 or 20 years until we document all the different stuff that's naturally occurring out here uh, that could also affect cannabis, right? So, um, please make sure that you're you're helping out if you are seeing something you don't understand. That's perfectly fine. You don't have to tell people it's your grow. Tell them you went to go to your buddy's house. Right? It's fine. It doesn't matter uh, if it helps you uh, get that data out. You know, and you don't want to worry about it, then do that. But um, there's definitely a way that you can uh, uh, help the community in a big way. So, all right, everybody. All thanks for watching, um, and uh, we'll catch you guys again next week. Um, uh, I'm going to try and get some video content out over the weekend, but we'll see if I manage to pull it off.